Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is the perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. folks, and thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation and also part of the Patriot Generals Network. And you can find the Patriot Generals Network by going to 
www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, now, tonight we had planned to do a rebroadcast of our show with Matt Bevan, our interview. Uh, looks like uh, we had the audio, uh, but we may be having some technical difficulties, I hate to say. Uh, but while we are uh, waiting to see if we can uh, find what's going on uh, with those technical uh, difficulties, let's go ahead and see about hearing a song from Aubrey Ashburn. So enjoy the music.
thank you, folks, for that. Uh, and you can hear more of Aubrey Ashburn's music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. Uh, and it looks like we were having uh, some issues, and I'll have to look into uh, for that archive. Uh, you'll also see it that we interviewed him about a month ago. So uh, you'll be able to hear that interview in the archives. Uh, but I did find an earlier clip where we interviewed Matt Bevan on the show. And that is the first interview we had with him where he was challenging Mitch McConnell in the Senate uh, primary race. Uh, so we will listen to that one instead so you can hear more about, about Matt Bevan. And we are looking to get him uh, back on the show. So let's go ahead and go ahead and go what with we have, of course, the organic nature of the show. So let's go ahead and hear from the beginning the first interview we had with Mr. Matt Bevan, uh, the now GOP nominee for governor of Kentucky. Love Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is the perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Be broken With our final breath We'll fight to the death We are soldiers We are soldiers Hello folks, thank you once again For coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk Part of the growing conservative conversation And also part of the Patriot Journalist Network And you can find us at the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. Also visit us at the Bard's Logic Political Talk website by going to www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Tonight we have a special guest on, and that is the conservative challenger to Senator Mitch McConnell, uh, Matt Bevin, and we'll be interviewing him tonight, and I believe we have him on, so we'll later on read the from here or his website, uh, his bio, uh, go ahead. But without any further ado, I want to bring him on. So thank you, Mr. Bevan, for coming to the show. How are you? Here we go. Let me try that. Can you guys hear me okay? I can hear you great. Thank you. Terrific. Great. Thank you very much uh, for coming to the show. How are you today? Sounds like we have some. Oh, the the line dropped, uh, but we'll have some in shortly, I'm sure. And maybe he's just going to retest uh, the lines. So let me wait to see if uh, it calls back in. So while we're at, I'll uh, read a little bit of, of course, uh, join me, uh, the host tonight, talking with our guest, as well as conservative activist Cindy Todd, as well as James Neighbors and Kelly Mordecai, along with. Dan Gray, 
So we'll be hearing from us this evening. And, of course, as I said earlier, oh, there we go. Let's try him back in. Is that better for you? It, I hope so. It seems, uh, it seems that I've got a decent connection with you, but I'm not sure I lost you there for a moment. Sounds good. Yes, it looks like uh, we got disconnected for a few moments, and then we're back. Well, thank you for having me on tonight. I truly appreciate it. Well, and I appreciate you coming on. I was looking at your schedule today, and you had definitely had a, a busy day. So before we go to the other questions, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing today. Today I'm in, in northern Kentucky, and uh, it's, it has been a busy day, but it's been outstanding. I mean, started out with a, uh, a breakfast with a bunch of business folks and uh, just discussing this campaign, and uh, and then moving uh, from there on to meet with some various uh, uh, other establishments, some uh, businesses, some hardware stores, some kind of local gathering places, a couple of meet and greets, uh, uh, wound up with a meet and greet uh, this evening, and then uh, spent some time with a reporter who's a national reporter following this campaign. So just another day in the life, but very good. It's been just an outstanding day. It really has. Awesome. And uh, I'll begin here with, with the question that I ask all the candidates that they come on. Uh, so what brought you into the race, and what motivates you to moving forward? I mean, more than anything, the fact that as a nation we have a, a, a crippling level of debt that if we don't address it is going to render every other thing that any of us care about to be a, a moot point. Uh, I'm, I'm a you know a husband. I'm a father of nine children. I'm a small business owner. I've got a lot of people that are depending on me, depending on uh, my ability to continue to create jobs for them in the case of the companies and to provide uh, food and shelter for them in the case of my children. I look at where we're going as a nation, and I and I wonder what's happening to the American dream. And I'm a military veteran. I'm a guy who grew up in a pretty simple way. But more than anything, I realize if we don't start to elect men and women who understand how the wealth of this nation is created, then we are then, then nothing is going to be resolved in Washington D.C. on the fiscal front. So let's start talking about uh, some issues um, and discuss your stance on issues such as spending, including uh, comparisons with yourself and, of course, Mr. McConnell on raising the debt limit and bailouts. Uh, what is your stance on those two issues, and how do you differ from Mitch McConnell, and what would you do differently? Yeah, I mean, uh, let's address them in in, uh, in reverse order. With respect to the bailouts, uh, I've been adamantly opposed always to the idea of using federal tax dollars uh, to bail out irresponsible companies. I mean, taking money from the American taxpayer and using it to bail out financially irresponsible companies is a bad idea. It is not the role of government to pick winners and losers. So I'm very much opposed to that. Mitch McConnell, on the other hand, a strong supporter of all the above, voted against the will of the people of Kentucky and most of America to bail out the Wall Street banks and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and then, then came out and told us that this was the finest hour in Senate history, which was a bit of a push, I think. So big difference between <laughs> he and I on that front. Uh, the other, as it relates to the debt ceiling, I, we cannot borrow our way out of debt, and we cannot print our way out of debt. And I don't think that has resonated uh, with Mitch McConnell. He has voted for 14 debt ceiling increases in a row. And on this latest one, where I was strongly opposed to giving a clean, quote-unquote, you know, clean debt ceiling bill to the president, Mitch McConnell 
ended up breaking the back of the conservatives like Ted Cruz and like Mike Lee and others who said we've got to hold ourselves to financial account. He ended up casting the deciding vote to vote for cloture to undermine their effort to do something, to cut somewhere, to do something in a fiscally responsible nature. Uh, I would have done the exact, I would have been with those 17 that did not vote uh, for this. I just, I think this is the kind of thing that has been destroying our country, is that we have career politicians in both party, parties who end up colluding with one another and end up being versions of the exact same thing. And this fiscal irresponsibility by Mitch McConnell, not only on this latest debt ceiling increase, but on the budgeting, the continuing resolution, his votes to fund Obamacare, all of this, big differences between me and I on a fiscal front. Yeah, I heard a commercial today, actually, you know, as I was coming home, and it said, uh, it was a Mitch McConnell commercial, saying that you were Obama's, you know, best friend, <laughs> and that huh. uh, they actually dubbed you Bailout, Bailout Bevan, uh, which, which surprised me, especially after reading your stances on bailouts. Uh, would you like to answer an ad such as that? Well, yeah, I mean, when you have 12, he has spent $12 million in, in, this, in this race so far, lying about me, and you notice everything he attacks me for is something that he's weak on. He's weak on bailouts, so he will call me a bailout guy. He's weak on amnesty, so he'll try to say that I'm for amnesty. In, you do understand, of course, that in the world of politics, there is no slander or libel that applies, so you can say anything you want about somebody, and if you have millions of dollars to do it, you can do so. To say I'm a friend of Obama, that one is <laughs> yeah, even the most <laughs> remarkable of them all. I've never met the man, and I can assure you, there's nothing I stand for that he would uh, that he would be a fan of at all on the uh, ideological front. So again, it's because Mitch McConnell has been McCon has been Obama's best buddy. I mean, seriously, think about this. What do they call an unlimited spending ability by the president? What is that called in, on Capitol Hill? It's called the McConnell rule. Mitch McConnell is the one who wanted to give a blank check to Obama. Obama loves that. You know, who was it that wanted to fund Obamacare and who could have stopped it? Mitch McConnell, but who voted for that funding, for closure to allow that to move forward? Mitch McConnell. You think Obama doesn't love that? Who loves the idea of granting amnesty to people that are here illegally? Barack Obama, who has voted repeatedly over 30 years to do exactly that, Mitch McConnell. So the two of them, the two of them are best buds on just about everything that is critical, uh, where McConnell should be on the opposite side of the equation. And so that's why he attacks me for it, because it's where he's weak. Well, it sounds like it's kind of like the, the, the way they name Bill, kind of the opposite of what they actually do, like the Affordable Health Care Act. And so it exactly. sounds like there might be the same thing going on here. Um, but or I do want to get this out to the National Defense Authorization Act or any, you know, pick one. You're absolutely right. There you go. There you go. We we, we talk uh, a, a bunch on those. But I want to get to the next. Some are saying I want to definitely talk about this because I know it's important to the audience. Uh, but I hear some saying we ought to put social issues on the back burner until we fix our liberty and big government problems, uh, such as, like, but a federal judge recently here in Ohio uh called to recognize, the saying the state needs to recognize out-of-state gay marriage. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, and what are your general thoughts on the gay marriage issue and the right-to-life issue? Well, I mean, again, I'll take them in reverse order. On the right-to-life issue, I'm very staunchly pro-life and have been. I, I 
my my reasons uh, have far more to do with uh, medical reality than anything else. I don't. It's hard for me to find any justification. In fact, it's impossible for me to find any justification for killing a human being for the convenience of another human being. I just I don't find that to be a uh, a an argument that holds water. And so I'm staunchly pro-life as it relates to the gay marriage issue. I mean. I think this is, it's not the government's role to define or redefine marriage. I don't believe government defined marriage as that between a man and a woman, which has always been the traditional uh, view of marriage. I happen to be a proponent of that traditional view. Uh, I'm married and have been for 18 years. It's working great, and uh, I think I'm going to stick with it. That said, uh, there are differences of opinion on this subject. And the idea, though, that a single judge can come along and set aside the will of the people, as happened here in Kentucky, where a single unelected judge ended up coming and setting aside a ruling that 74% of Kentuckians had voted on, which was to define marriage as that between a man and a woman. And then that was set aside by a judge. I don't think that's the role for one individual to override the, the, um, the, the will of the people. That said, I don't think it's a business, a, a role that government should be sticking its nose into one way or the other. And to the extent that there needs to be codification and definition for tax reasons and others, let that be handled at the state level. The one thing the government, of course, we're all aware of is sticking their nose in is health care, and specifically Obamacare, uh, which lays heavily on the minds of many Americans. Uh, tell us how McConnell is handling Obamacare as a senator, and what would you do differently and why? Well, it's funny. For, for many months, he said that he wanted to yank it out root and branch. That was his big thing. He ran all these ads and said that, but he no longer says that. He now wants to fix it and patch it. I disagree. I think it should be repealed in its entirety. And I'm so These people are constantly telling us it's the law of the land. Well, it's been so carved up, sliced up, that it no longer even closely approximate, approximates what it was when it was first passed. That said, it really, more than anything, is the flaw of the land. It's just so broken, so flawed, I don't think there's any capacity to fix or patch it, and I'm not for that. I think it should be repealed in its entirety. That's a big difference between Mitch McConnell and, I'm, and myself. He also voted, after saying he was opposed to it, voted to fund it and allowed this to become the quote-unquote law of the land. I would not have done that. I would have stood with... Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, and all the other true conservatives in the Senate who said we're not going to vote for the funding of this. Mitch McConnell says one thing in Kentucky and does something entirely different in Washington, D.C., and he's done it for years. Then moving on, I'm going through these uh, the questions real quickly because I do have folks on the line who would uh, definitely really enjoy speaking with you and may have some questions themselves, but... I'd like to spend a little bit of time on education and energy. And last week we had a guest on to talk with us about Common Core. And the week before that we had a gentleman running for governor for the Green Party in Pennsylvania. But what are your views on Common Core? What would you do? Would you do anything to get rid of it? And what energy? Um, what are your thoughts on energy in America? Excuse me, moving forward with more renewable energy resources. Well, you're just mixing all these things together on me, aren't you? As it relates to uh, to Common Core, I'm adamantly opposed to it. I think it's just flawed from any number of standpoints. Educationally, 
I think it's weak. I don't like the lie. I mean, anybody who doesn't know anything about it should spend a little time looking at some of the lesson plans, and they would give anybody pause, even those who think this might be a good thing. So educationally, it's a joke. I don't. The idea that it's three times four can equal 11, as long as you can justify the reasoning for it and feel good about your answer, uh, that's insane to me. I don't want somebody who comes up with three times four equals 11 designing a bridge that I'm going to drive across or an elevator that I'm going to get into or an airplane that I'm going to take off or land in. Facts are facts. Numbers are numbers. And, and on any number of fronts, removing hard sciences and replacing them with these pseudoscience uh, curriculum, and more critically, just turning our children uh, into spies, basically, on their own, on their own selves and, that, and on their families and, and homes. It is such an intrusion into the privacy of, of students and of their families. It's an encroachment on our Fourth Amendment rights. And I just, I'm opposed to Common Core at many, many levels. I really am. With respect to energy policy, what was the question specifically? Well, specifically, it's just what are your views um, on alternative energy and what are your thoughts of America moving forward on renewable energy resources? If it can cash flow itself, if it can sustain itself without subsidies from the American taxpayers, I say go for it. And if it can't, I say go for it with your own money, not taxpayer money. And if you want to lose that money because it's unsustainable, then that's your prerogative. But to use taxpayer money to subsidize something that has no ability to justify its own existence through supply and demand, I think that's a big mistake. We have the ability to be energy independent in North America and in the United States even specifically with fracking, with the incredible coal resources, with the ability to uh, tap into massive oil reserves as well on our own land. We have incredible opportunities to be independent of all outside energy sources. And if we can augment that and complement that with certain renewable resources that actually justify their own existence, terrific. Otherwise, I say let's stick to what actually doesn't need subsidization from the American taxpayer. Okay, got it. Now, it's, the people who listen to the show regularly know that, you know, I am a conservative, but I do consider myself an environmentalist as well. Uh, a green conservative, as Newt Gingrich uh, coined the phrase, and green conservatism. Uh, so that's, you know, what I adhere to, so it's definitely interested in, in hearing what your thoughts are on that. But I want to talk uh, more about, of course, your campaign. And I've read uh, that you've raised about $1.12 million. And <clears throat> so that was, just said, in the last, that was just in the last, in the last quarter. quarter. Right. Yeah. In the last qu quarter, and, and some are saying that this will actually cause McConnell, as, as I heard today on the radio, uh, to spend more dollars. Now, what they say is would be valuable to spend against the Democrats' opponent. Uh, how is your campaign doing, for one? And then how would you answer the critics when they say that you running and you causing him to spend so much money could hurt the Republicans in losing in the general election? <laughs> on, on the latter, he's the one that has no chance of winning a general election. And that's not just my opinion. All the polling shows that. He is neck and neck or losing to Grimes, who's remarkably unqualified, and yet he's neck and neck or losing to her in every one of the last 10 to 12 polls that have been done. He has no chance of winning the general election. And so if indeed he's worried about making sure we don't lose this seat, he should bow out now. So that's a joke. And if the man spent half as much time fighting against liberal policies in Washington as he spends fighting against conservatives in his own party, 
we wouldn't have the need to run against him. But the idea that he's forced to spend money to get reelected, well, welcome to the world of politics, Senator McConnell. <laughs> I mean, for 30 years, the man has not had anybody so much as put an ad up on air against him in 30 years on the Republican side. So welcome to the world of, com of, of competitive primaries. This is exactly what, this Amer what America needs more of. It's cathartic. It's Great. refreshing. It's invigorating for the political process to engage in active and aggressive discussions of issues. It's what he's afraid of. He can't defend his record. He's too cowardly to debate on his record. He's too cowardly to appear in public and discuss it with anybody in a public forum. Too arrogant to think that he needs to present himself to the people of Kentucky. And it's a shame because it's insulting. And so this idea that this is somehow hurting him, he's hurt himself. I didn't make him the least popular senator in America among his own constituents. He has a 32% approval rating among his own constituents. He did that quite handily on his own. So the idea that somehow me running against him is hurting him, he's hurt himself. I'm giving people an actual alternative, which is going to be critical if we truly want to keep this seat. And for those who would like to keep this seat, they can go to my website, check it out. It's mattbevin.com, M-A-T-T-B-E-V-I-N.com. Check it out. See where I stand on these issues and all the others. And for those that are in Kentucky or who have friends in Kentucky, spread the word. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the things I wanted to make sure we got out today was uh, the link to your website. And also, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you were recently at a rally we'll talk about in Kentucky and Louisville, that was sponsored by FreedomWorks and had support from, I heard about a 1,000 or more, over a 1,000 folks there, including Glenn Beck. And I heard uh, McConnell also refused to have a debate with you. So I'll uh, hear more about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny. I mean, it's probably McConnell who said it was a 1,000. There was 3,500 seats, and I didn't see any of them that were empty. So there was probably about 3,500 people that were there physically, and then another 14,000 who who streamed it online. Uh, and it was a tremendous uh, group of folks. I mean, the energy, the passion, the excitement, it was awesome. It really was. And so uh, it was very gracious of Glenn Beck and so many other terrific conservatives from around the country to gather together uh, in support of this effort for Freedom Works to have, have put this forward. Um, all of this, I mean, these are the kind of things that um, – are critical gaining momentum uh, for us going forward. And so I was grateful for that. The campaign is going outstanding. We have got tremendous grassroots support. Where we have difficulty is just the top down. Because even for the dollars we raise, I don't think there's another Senate candidate in America running for U.S. Senate, not running against, you know, and no one else who's running against an incumbent has raised more money than we have. But it's quickly dismissed and poo pooed. You know, people are, oh, you've only raised $2.5 million and he's got $20 million. Well, he's been raising money since the last time mm -hmm. he got elected, six years ago. So we're never going to compete on that. We've got the energy. He has a machine, too, behind him. Mm -hmm. Tell me that again. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. No, I said, I'm sure he has the establishment machine behind him as well. He does. I mean, there's, there's no question. I mean, he, he has all of the power of the party. But this is the problem, honestly. 
the, those that think this is somehow, back to your earlier question, somehow a conflict within the Republican Party are not seeing what's going on. This is not just a battle for the heart and soul of the Republican Party. This, and I challenge your listeners to understand this because it's important in this race and in other races like this, and it's important across the entire political landscape. And that is, this is a race that's a battle for the heart and soul of the entire political process. Because what's at stake in this race is whether we the people are still in charge, whether this is still a government of and by and for the people, or whether it's going to be allowed to be hijacked and it's going to be of and by and for a few. The few, the establishment, the party would have us believe it's the latter. I'm telling you, it is still our government. It is still we the people. And I would be grateful for the support of any of your listeners that could come alongside social media, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, push our stuff out there, visit mattbevin.com. Find ways to support us in any way you can because this affects all of America. It really does. And certainly, if you can topple, you know, if you could topple McConnell, I think they'll um, just create ways throughout the country to people to support more grassroots, uh, we the people candidates, uh, more conservative candidates uh, throughout the nation. Absolutely, yeah, it'll empower people. It'll invigorate people to the reality of what the ballot box can do, and the ballot box is a powerful, powerful privilege that we have as American citizens. There have been one and a half million of our fellow citizens who have given their lives in uniform for us to be able to have the privilege of the ballot box. And I challenge your listeners, please, don't just listen, don't just talk, be engaged, be active, and don't just turn yourselves out. Turn out one, three, five, ten, fifty, a hundred other people. Have a sense of urgency and a sense of purpose because this is our government. And before I turn it over to uh, a brief word from our sponsor and then uh, to the panelists and guests, you know, audience, uh, I'd like to get um, some about recent events over in Ukraine. Tell us a little bit about uh, what your thoughts are on the situation developing uh, with Russia. And what would you recommend Obama to do? Well, I mean, for starters, I, I, I mean, we've gotten ourselves into a pickle where Russia knows they can do with impunity anything they want because our foreign policy has been a joke. Uh, from the beginning of this administration, it really has. It's been spineless, it's been apologetic, and it has given the impression that we're not serious about anything, and I'm afraid that's become the reality. So with respect to Putin, I think it's a tremendous overreach, to say the very least. That's an understatement. For him to just take Crimea so that he has Gazprom's conduit into Europe, purely economic move, he's doing it with Russia's best interest at heart, but but in absolute violation of the rule of law and the sovereignty of another nation. I think it's intolerable. I also believe, as a former military officer, I have pretty strong opinions about the way we do and don't use our military. We have absolutely no business being militarily involved in this business. We don't. And so, at the same time, though, for us to turn the other way and pretend it's not happening is the wrong message. We have the ability to use an extraordinary amount of diplomatic and financial muscle. We have far less diplomatic muscle than we ever did, but we have the ability to use muscle that does still exist to make it clear that if you're going to act like a rogue nation, you're going to be treated like a rogue nation. And we should seize every dollar of every account belonging to Putin and all of his cronies that are parked in our banks and in the banks of our allies. We should remove him not only temporarily as a member of the G8, but we should actively work to ensure that, that Russia is removed as a member of the WTO and every other entity that gives them any semblance of legitimacy on the world stage. 
And if you want to act like a thug autocrat, we're going to treat you like one. We've got to be serious because he's serious. He's not goofing mm-hmm. around, and he's assuming that we are. And we, our president needs to grow a spine in, for the last few years. I don't think he cares to, though. I don't think this bothers him a lick. And this is definitely what happens, at least in my opinion, when America appears or America is weakened. And I certainly that believe that that's something that Obama has done. So as we do it, definitely have some folks on here who would like to speak with you. But first, uh, folks, May 11th is Mother's Day. So for all you men listening to the show, uh, visit our sponsor for some great ideas for your special woman on Mother's Day. And so just give us a minute for a sponsor. Thank you. Hi, I'm Julie Stevenson, an independent representative with Sopata Designs. Sopata is a direct selling company which offers fine sterling silver and semi-precious gemstone jewelry. If you like sterling silver jewelry, you can place an order with me. If you love sterling silver jewelry, book a home show and get the pieces you love for free. Sopata hostesses earn an average of $300 in free jewelry and three half-priced items. If you love our jewelry, do what I did and become a Sopata rep and earn 30% commission as well as free jewelry monthly. It's so simple, the style of our home parties is always an open house with no formal presentation. You can access my website on Bard's Logic, then call me to start living the life you deserve. 513-378-8876. I can't wait to hear from you. Okay, folks, we will be putting uh, the link to that shortly uh, in the chat. So, guys, don't forget to, to visit the sponsor page on BardsLogicPoliticalTalk.com and get that special gift uh, for Mother's Day. So we're back to the show, and I want to bring in Will at this time. He's been on uh, the longest, and then I'll bring in uh, some of the panelists. Uh, so, Will, thank you very much uh, for coming to the show, and uh, say hi to our guest tonight, uh, Matt Bevan. Hey, Matt Bevan, it's Will Stoff. I've been following you on Twitter since you announced your campaign a long time yes, ago. Sir. You have been a, hey, thank a, a you so- tweeting machine. Thank you. <laughs> no problem, man. You know, just watching your campaign, I don't think there's another campaign in the country that's taken on an incumbent that has this much enthusiasm, that has all the backing of every single possible conservative group that you could possibly think of in Kentucky and, and throughout the nation. And I, I think the biggest challenge, this is just kind of my own perception here, and maybe you can weigh in on this, is turning off the noise, whether that noise is coming from Mitch McConnell, whether it's coming from Allison Grimes, or if or I even hate to say it, coming from, you know, certain, I won't mention any names, but certain conservative media heads that do support you but are wringing their hands because we're in the final hour here and they're worried about a bunch of stuff they have no idea with what's going on as far as what's going on on the ground. And I guess the biggest challenge, and maybe you can address this, is, is turning off the noise and, uh, and, and just uh, make, winning this darn thing. You know, it's a good point, and I think the key is people have got to stay focused on what the actual purpose is, and the purpose is to win this primary on May 20th. And the static that often accompanies these things is enough to test those of, uh, of, of uh, weaker will. It's interesting, you know, uh, Thomas Paine once said, these are the times that try men's souls. And he then went on to say that, that the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will shrink, you know, from in, in moments of crisis. And what? And you're absolutely right. I don't. You know. I hope there are not too many 
sunshine patriots that will fall back now because these are the times that try our souls, but never has there been greater opportunity to do something great for the American political process, like reinvigorating a sense of confidence among we the people. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and the thing is, Matt, if, if let's just say, and I hope this isn't the case, I don't think it's going to be the case, but if you don't win this thing, you know, John Boehner and Mitch McConnell are going to pass amnesty, and folks better wake up to mm -hmm. that instead of uh, choosing the lesser of two evils. It's time to wake up. Well, he'll have to do it before November because I'm telling you, Mitch McConnell has no chance of getting reelected in the general election. He really doesn't, and that's unfortunate. And then we'll just have one more rubber stamp vote for for uh, Harry Reid and Chuck Schumer and company, and they're huge proponents of amnesty as well. So, I mean, the sad thing is we have got to wake up. You're right. And if people who care about this, listeners in Kentucky, May 20th, you can go to the ballot box, bring people with you, turn out, and go to MattBevin.com to learn more. Spread the word, because that's how these races are won. You're absolutely right, Will. Hey, thank you so much, Matt, and I'll continue tweeting out and uh, supporting you, man, whatever I can do here in South Georgia. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And, and Will, what we do here uh, on the show is, you know, you're welcome to stay on, and we'll have a – oh, no, Will has dropped the call. If, Will, if you're still listening out there, one thing we do a little differently than you may be used to on other talk shows is we once someone calls in, we keep their mic open so they can join our roundtable discussion just in case they'd like to chime in. Uh, at other parts of the show. So if you're welcome to call back at 347-945-7428 and anyone else you'd like uh, to chime in tonight, give us a call here at 347-945-7428. And right now I'll be bringing in Dan Gray, which is one of our contributors here uh, to Bard's Logic. So thank you very much, Dan, for calling into the show. How are you? Um, great. And you know what? <laughs> Listening to Mr. Bevan, sir, and I mean the word, sir. I have the greatest respect for what you're saying because it's what we've all been saying, and you're expressing yourself so excellently. Uh, your understanding of the issues is as well, as good as, boy, I can't even speak, and usually I'm fairly articulate. You're very articulate, especially in a plain, clear, logical, and forceful manner. The purpose and urgency that you're expressing to use your own words, is something that I'm running across everywhere I run, which is Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, uh, West Virginia, uh, New York. I'm, I'm a Pennsylvania guy, and I haven't made it as far as Kentucky, but here in Pennsylvania, the vast flyover space between the couple of major cities that we have, Philly and Pittsburgh, is uh, lovingly referred to as Pennsylvania. The, the only thing you don't have... For Kentucky, and I'm kind of surprised you're doing so well there. Is you don't have a southern accent, and and but that's okay. It's refreshing that you're not accept, adopting a fake accent for the audience, like uh, our certain uh, occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania. You know, it's interesting though. There's a Kentucky. We're an interesting state in that we have an amazing array of accents or lack thereof, and we're we're a state that is sort of. Right at the cusp, I mean, my office downtown Louisville, I look out the windows and I look across the river and, and all I see is Indiana. And no one ever confuses that with the South. So it's we're right at the crossroads of the South and the Midwest, and we have wonderful blends of the two. But uh, you're very gracious in your comments, and I appreciate that. Well, it's because 
like most of us, completely fed up. I'm frustrated. I've been saying this stuff for years. And this year, just recently, people have started to, as uh, Will Stoff said, to wake up. They really are. Everywhere they turn, I, I, there's people coming out of the woodwork who are saying, what can I do? They're not just saying, boy, oh, boy, this is a mess. They're saying, what can I do? And what we can do is get behind candidates, issues, and specific goals. And a specific goal is to elect people to Congress, to the Senate, to the presidency, to your local offices. And and let's not forget, folks out there, that um, people like Mr. Bevan are rare. It's rare to get somebody who's ready to go on a national stage. Most of us need to start with school boards and uh, local races where you can build some uh, credibility and you can learn how things work and so people can vet you. And uh, I'm just so pleased to hear you. I, I, I usually get um, guests who I have some agreement with and some disagreement with and we get into debates. Not only have I heard everything you've said, but I've been looking on your website now for some time, and I have yet to find anything that I'm not in 100% sync with. You really are resonating not with me personally alone, but with what I hear from, I guess, since uh, last September, uh, I must have met, and I, I'm, I admit I'm one of those people who counts things, somewhere around uh, 17, 18,000 different patriots, and every one of them is saying the same thing you're saying, but not quite as clearly, and it's a pleasure to hear. Well, thank you. You know what, I'll tell you what, I speak, as you said, for a whole lot of folks, and, I, and I, I, I'm grateful for, you know, we all end up as products of, of, of how we were raised and of the various uh, variables that, that make up our lives, and it becomes a function of who among us will step forward. Winston Churchill once noted that history turns on moments like this, that, that the, the greatest moments, as you look back through the lens of history, were not necessarily so obvious at the time. And he said, shame on the man who finds himself at such a juncture, who is either unprepared or unwilling to take up the task. And I'll tell you, I've been arguably prepared, and I'm grateful, having some things that I've had control over and many that I didn't. But it then becomes a function of, am I willing? And it's the same for you and for any of your listeners as well, that who among us are willing to take up the task? Because our nation demands no less of us at this time. It's easy if you're at all like me. I've always thought, hey, I hope somebody steps up. I hope somebody stands in the gap. I hope somebody comes forward. But sometimes we're the somebody. The somebody is always somebody, and why should it not be us at times? And so who among us will stand in the gap? We need citizen legislators of the ilk that our founding fathers were, people who will step forward for finite periods of time to come from their farms, to come from their businesses, to step forward as public servants, to serve their fellow citizen, and then return back to where it was that they came from, as true statesmen always did. This idea that we have a career path of career politicians is part of what is destroying the fabric of this nation. It just is. I'd like to add to that. It's not just people who run for office. There's a lot of people out there who are not set up, they're not capable of running for office or or serving in office, and that doesn't make them bad at all. I'm numerically challenged. I have to count things. I'm not a real uh, excellent... I, I couldn't make a CPA. It doesn't matter. We need CPAs. Not in the IRS, of course. 
And we need people in every walk of life, every person out there. You may not have worked. You're, you may be a kid who's just uh, in school or just out of school and hard to find a job. You may have been out of the workforce for a while being a homemaker, which doesn't mean you've worked any less hard. You may have, have uh, specific experience. You might be a welder. I, I run into people of all different backgrounds, and I look for what are they good at, what are they good at that they don't even know yet, and I ask them to step forward and, and do that. Anyone can knock on a door for a candidate or for an issue. Anyone exactly. can circulate a petition. My wife cooks, and she's not a political person, and when we have local meetings and she bakes cookies, well, you've been to, my God, how many of these meetings, sir? Uh, you go to these things, and after an hour, your yeah. rear end is, is, is painful, and after two hours, your ears are bleeding. But if you have one of her cookies, you're, you had a good experience, and you're coming back. <laughs> that may not sound like much, but every single thing that can be added is helpful. And it doesn't have to be straightforward politics. There are a lot of interest groups, and every single issue that we can attack the the so-called progressives. They're not. They're not progressives. They're not liberals. I respect progressives and liberals for having a different viewpoint if they're honest. The people in charge, whether it's Millionaire Mitch or um, Allison Grimes or, you know, Republican and Democrat are labels that mean very little. It's honest people who are willing to debate honestly and stay within the strictures of the Constitution that can solve all the problems of this country. And it won't come from Washington and the state capitals exclusively. So last weekend I met uh, in a Pennsylvania um, militia summit, leaders of the the militias across the state. And that's an important thing, which is to be prepared to assist in enforcing law, to insist lawmakers or law officers, that is, if they need our help and if they won't do their jobs or if they're the ones breaking the law, there needs to be someone to back up the law, which is the constitution of your particular state and the United States. Um, There are interest groups that I work with, like Americans for Prosperity, which are entirely economic and nonpartisan. And then there are interest groups that deal with um, issues that I don't even consider necessarily religious issues. You touched on uh, your your pro-life stance, and I share that with you. Um, That is a constitutional issue. You're attacking a person without giving them due process and depriving them of life and liberty, and in a painful and cruel manner, it's the same thing when they go after people who are too old or too sick and say, I'm sorry, under Obamacare, Those death panels that Sarah Palin talked about are now coming online. Uh, We're going to deny you coverage because it's just not worth it. You're not a productive enough member of society. According to whom? So, folks, if you are in Kentucky or if you have some big money or if you can help on social media, candidates like Matt Bevan are worth it, in my opinion. But if you don't have those particular characteristics or if you have something else in mind, don't let that stop you from getting involved. There is no unimportant issue right now. And speaking of which, I would like to ask you a question. I mentioned, sure. and I saw on uh, one of your, your uh, sites there, uh, constitutional enumeration. Could you please explain to the audience what you would like to see in any sort of bill that the Senate has to consider once you get elected? Well, you know, that's really, that phrase is often associated most specifically with the Tenth Amendment, but it's one where... Frankly, in my opinion, 
you know, constitutional enumeration is really a reference to the fact that if you are going to sponsor or co-sponsor or debate or vote on any piece of legislation, that you should clearly spell out what power in the Constitution has given authorization to that piece of legislation. Where is in the Constitution, where is the enumeration or the power given for that particular uh, proposal? And so enumeration is we talk, often talk about which powers are enumerated to the federal government, which to the states. And the Tenth Amendment makes clear those not clearly enumerated or spelled out to either are the responsibility of the states and of the people. And I believe in that. I firmly believe in that. And so if, in fact, there is no constitutional justification, then it should be the responsibility of the states and the people, period. Thank you. Um, speaking well, of which... Real quick, Dan, real quick, yeah, Dan uh, I want to bring, bring in another caller. Uh, I want to bring in Joseph. And also, oh, before I do that, I want to mention that uh, we have here uh, in the chat here from Liberty Thunder, which is another radio show here on Blog Talk Radio, conservative radio show. So thank you very much, uh, Liberty Thunder. I believe that's Rex Christie. He's one of the hosts of the show, which I believe uh, is on Sunday evenings, Easter, I believe 9 or 10 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, so you can find that on Blog Talk Radio as well. And that show is Liberty Thunder. And thank you very much. Uh, I see you there in the chat. It's, it's great to have you here. So it's a great time, show. I'm going to bring in... I'm going to bring in Joseph. Thank you very much, uh, Joseph, uh, for coming to the show. And uh, if anyone else would like to chime in, just call us at 347-945-7428. And I do see if someone else uh, called in, and uh, we'll be bringing you in from 502, and we'll be bringing you in after James. So go ahead, Joseph. Well, thank you for having me on, Robert. Uh, first of all, Mr. Bevan, I want to uh, commend you for the valiant campaign you're waging. Uh, I know many conservatives like me who have been following your campaign from the beginning uh, can agree that uh, you uh, have fell to a barrage of negative uh, and unfair attacks from the beginning uh, from Mitch McConnell's campaign trying to define you uh, instead of letting the truth get out there. And, uh, you know, uh, the the fact that various conservative uh, outlets such as Freedom, Freedom Works, the Senate conservative funds are backing you, uh, shows that you have uh, great support and great respect amongst the conservative base uh, who do not uh, like, who do not, who do not associate themselves with the establishment GOP. Uh, my question to you is, uh, if you had to sum it up, what would be a compelling, positive narr narrative of your of yourself? in contrast to Mitch McConnell, and why do you believe you should be the guy to replace Mitch McConnell? I'm a, I am a man who is raising a family in this environment. I'm the only one in this race on either side raising a family in this environment. I'm the only one on either side who has served our nation in uniform. And I'm the only one on either side who has ever created a job that the taxpayers haven't paid for. And while none of those things are unique, none of those things in combination are unique. But I'll tell you, they are remarkably unusual and rare among our elected officials in Washington. And if we don't start to elect men and women who understand from personal experience how the wealth of this nation is created, 
And I've employed even now dozens and dozens of people across the companies that I own and through the years have created opportunities for hundreds of people. We have got to elect men and women who understand personally how this happens. Or we will, as Margaret Thatcher noted, soon enough run out of other people's money and then the gig is up. I appreciate you answering that because I think that's what a lot of voters uh, want to hear. Uh, a lot of uh, conservatives like me are appalled by the schmear campaign that McConnell has been running against you from the beginning, uh, kind of definitely taking a page out of Obama's playbook there. Uh, it is. You know, it's funny. He, he he told us that he was going to run a presidential-style campaign, literally. That's what McConnell has said from the beginning. <laughs> He didn't. We are now understanding which president he was looking to emulate. You're absolutely right. I definitely agree. Very hypocritical. Actually, uh, d there was a Tea Party spokesman by the name of Scott Hofstra, who is also backing you, and yeah. uh, he uh, quoted, uh, "A 30-year senator has to resort to negative attacks and slandering in order to try to win his race, and unfortunately, it works." And uh, many people, I just want to say, respect you that from the beginning you tried to run a gentleman's campaign and you tried to uh, stick to the facts. But uh, unfortunately, Mitch McConnell has turned this into a schmear campaign because I agree with your opening statements at the beginning of the show. When you have a poor record to run on, what do you do? The only thing you can resort to is a schmear campaign. But my right. only concern here is that... Uh, uh, several polls have McConnell up by double digits. Now, I, I'm very confident that uh, polling is not exactly very accurate because back in the 2012 elections, uh, even a day prior to the presidential elections between Mitt Romney and President Obama, and the six battleground states, they had several polls with uh, Romney in a dead heat or a point behind, and then on election day, he winds up looting, uh, uh, losing by a landslide. But um, I definitely believe that if you can knock off Mitch McConnell, you will be able to reinvigorate the Tea Party. <laughs> yeah. Let me, I mean, let me address that real quickly. I think you're right, but let me address these polls. When I began, I was 50-something percent behind in the polls. Then the next time they ran a poll, I was 40-something percent behind. Then he spent a few more million dollars, and I was 30-something percent behind. He spent another million or two, and I was 20-something percent behind. The last time a public poll was taken was in uh, February. Uh, there were a couple of them, Rasmussen and Bluegrass uh, poll, and both of them showed me down in the low to mid-20s. But that is less than half of where I was down just a few months before. So every time a poll has been taken, I've closed the gap. And interestingly, it was only then that he decided to declare victory. The irony is that no matter how much money he spends, every time a poll is taken, I have gained and he has lost. And another thing that people forget is that when Mitch McConnell ran for Senate 30 years ago, three months to go before the primary, with less than three months to go actually, he was more than 40% down in the polls. The polls really only matter on election day. That is that more than anything is the poll that matters. We are doing unbelievably well among people on the ground, which is why I found out two weeks ago Mitch McConnell is apparently now calling people I went to high school with. He is a very oh, wow. nervous man. 
And so he is. He knows he's not doing well, which is why he's still scratching for dirt anywhere he can hopefully find it. I wish him luck on that front. It's why he'll go back to making up more because that's the only thing he's got. Well, sure. I mean, definitely that's the only reason why he's focusing millions of dollars on negative ags against you because he knows you've been a viable contender from the beginning. He knows you pose an existential threat to eliminating him. And believe me, I want to see you, like every conservative patriot, knock him uh, out of the the, uh, primary so he doesn't even make it to the general election. And I believe if you do that, and I have every confidence that you can pull it off, Mr. Bevan, that you will reinvigorate the Tea Party. Because right now, many people are disillusioned with the Tea Party because we lost momentum after 2010. I believe, like many conservatives, after we won, we became too complacent and we lost that jive that we had. And uh, in 2012, when the Tea Party tried to reemerge, we lost a lot of critical races. And so people... I believe will begin to take the Tea Party more seriously if they can see that we can actually start winning key races. And I think that begins on May the 20th with you, Mr. Bevan. You knocking off uh, Mitch McConnell not only is so crucial for the Tea Party and conservative movement, but it is also very symbolic because I believe that it will give back and earn back people that trust that they need that they can say we can not only support the Tea Party and true conservatives like you with words, but we can support them with actions and and with money, back them up with actual funds. And I think many people are reluctant to go to that step of funding campaigns to the extent where they can be successful is because they haven't seen many positive results. And so I think you are the best chance out of the eight primary races that are currently being run nationally against GOP incumbents, I believe, Mr. Bevan, you have the greatest chance. And uh, I hope you you just stay consistent as you've been doing. And if you can knock him off, I have every confidence that you can be that 1A player that can give the Tea Party that, re, that re-emergence that they need, that, that, that fire in the belly, as Sarah Palin has been touting, has been lost. And I believe it begins on May the 20th. And Mr. Bevan, uh, good luck. But uh, great leaders like you, in my opinion, don't need any luck. That's more of a saying. I wish you. I know you you will do well. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And for your listeners, those tonight, again, go to my website, mattbevan.com. Get engaged. Help us. People can make calls from anywhere in the country into Republican primary voters here. We can hook people up with the ability to call, as, as the uh, earlier speaker was noting. People can get engaged at any number of levels. And if people are here in Kentucky, they can walk, they can knock, they can talk to people. You can use social media. You can go online. You can post comments in, in comment sections and point people to our campaign. I'd be grateful. And there are other great campaigns around the country. There are the Milton Wolfs in Kansas and the Greg Brannons in North Carolina and the Chris McDaniels in Mississippi and the, and the Sasses in Nebraska, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of good folks running for office that need help and support. So I'd be grateful, and I know they would as well. Thank you, Mr. Bevan, for your time. I appreciate it. 
sure. We'll definitely, folks, uh, check out uh, check out Mr. Bevan's website and, and give whatever support uh, that you can. Because as Joseph pointed out, it is a very important race um, in many ways, very symbolically and concretely. And at this time, I do want to bring in uh, another one of our panelists, and that is James. Uh, thank you very much, uh, James, for coming to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Robert. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really good. Uh, very happy to have our guest on uh, tonight. And you, the floor is yours, uh, whichever you'd like to say or ask uh, Mr. Bevan. Well, I just uh, real quick, I won't, I won't drag this part out, but uh, just a little announcement. I won't be on your show on Wednesday next week. I just want to let you know ahead of time. The reason being is I'm quite certain I will be exhausted from handing out articles of impeachment to Congress uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, if not, if I am on the road, I will go ahead and call in and give you an update as to how that went. But uh, oh, I, will be, I will be leaving on Sunday morning, head to Washington, D.C., to meet up with a with a team of team of uh, patriots from Operation American Spring and overpasses, and we will be uh, we will be walking through those six buildings and handing out 535 packets, and hopefully they'll they'll get something started before May 16th when when everybody shows up for American Spring. Um, so yeah, I just want to let everybody know that. And uh, well, I appreciate you know, that. Yeah, can next week. And next week, uh, James, speaking of James, we'll have another James on uh, next week uh, as our guest, and that is James Carr, who is running for Congress in Virginia. So, folks, uh, look forward to that. Go ahead, James. Well, um, just a couple of questions there, Matt. As far as, you know, you talked about the budget, or as far as our, you know, how we should, you know, spend our federal money responsibly, and everything you said was great. Um, you know, we're currently $18 trillion and counting in debt. What what can, what would you do to try to rein in federal spending? We need absolute cuts. And by absolute cuts, I mean, you've heard of any number of iterations of things like the penny plan. The penny plan is simply the idea of cutting an absolute 1% out of the federal budget on an annual basis. Not, not patting ourselves on the back for sequestration where we spend 4% more instead of 8% more and feel like we've accomplished something. The reality is we need to cut absolute spending. There's not one listener, not one person in America who in 2014 could not live off of 99 cents of what they lived off of in 2013. There's, there's no way that anybody couldn't live on 1% less if they had to of necessity. And we should demand and expect no less of our federal government which is broke, and in fact now spending 40 cents of every dollar borrowed from future generations. It's irresponsible, and we need to start cutting across the board in an absolute fashion in order to rein this back in. Well, that's, uh, that sounds sounds very good. I mean, you know, we have, we've got to do something to, to rein that in. Um, as far as... Uh, Border, border security. I mean, obviously, it's not a great big immediate issue in Kentucky, uh, you know. But we do have an illegal immigrant, Im, illegal alien problem all over America. What do you What do you recommend we would do to that to, to fix that? Well, I tell you, it's interesting. We may not be a border state, but we are one of the fifty states of these United States, and it is a problem for every state, as you know. And I'll tell you. We are The reason people come here both legally and illegally is, above all, we are a nation of laws. 
And as a nation of laws, the last thing we should do is punt the first one for people upon their arrival. I think that's ridiculous. We shouldn't have, hey, don't worry, the first law is on us kind of attitude. We should enforce the borders. We should enforce the laws on the books and secure the border to the absolute degree possible, and we have the ability to do so. We are choosing intentionally not to do so, and I think it's a mistake. To reward illegal behavior is wrong at many levels. It sets a bad precedent, both for those individuals, and it is an insult to those who have come here legally and have paid their dues to do things the right way. So that's my stance on that in a nutshell. Well, so far we're batting a thousand. Uh, <laughs> um, what do you uh, do? You support uh, the impeachment of, of Barack Obama for the, the things he's done while he, while in office? Well, I'm running for U.S. Senate, and obviously, as a senator, that would not be my prerogative to initiate that. That's just initiated in the House. But certainly, if that came before me in the Senate, I would uh, I would not be disappointed at the ability to weigh in on such a thing. And what I mean by that is I think there are any number of actions taken not only by this president and this administration as a whole that that make things like Watergate seem like child's play by comparison. And I tell you, we need to start to take the oath of office of our congressmen seriously. We just do. And so I well, think with respect to the initiation of this, of course, it would be, need to be initiated in the House. And it sounds like uh, at least, I don't know if it was you or a previous speaker that is uh, that is looking to, uh, I think it was you that were saying next week you're going to be trying to do something about that. Yeah, that yeah that was me. And, and yeah, it, it, uh, yeah, it does begin in the House. But, you know, of course, the trial itself is, goes on in the Senate. And that's why that's why I was curious with that. Uh, right. You know, everybody, everybody in Congress is involved. And it's, you know, it's important. Yeah, it's important that we get people up there that, that understand the rule of law, and, and we've got a lawless president up there right now, so that's a, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I've actually, just to let you know, I have actually passed your uh, your website onto my our, my Kentucky group. I'm in the I'm the founder of Overpass for America. I don't know if you've seen us out there, but we got oh, out there. Oh, of course, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and we've well, got some strong people here in Kentucky. You really do. I've met a number of them. Well, good, good. Well, I passed the word on to our administrator out there, and they're going to get a hold of your campaign headquarters. And if we could get some signs and banners and whatnot to carry out there on those overpasses to let people know, give, give you a little old-school stuffing, uh, we'd be real happy to do that for you. I'd be grateful. We've done a lot of it, and I and the more the, the more the better, really and truly. Um. <laughs> Well, definitely, if we could get some contact, you know, at some point off the air, of course, uh, unless there's a, a website or an email you'd like to give uh, Matt for no, I mean, him to be able to contact you to, to be able to you guys to work together on that. Yeah, if you just reach, literally anybody can reach us. This through mattbevin.com, M-A-T-T-B-E-V-I-N.com. There's places where you can literally just click to connect uh, with with us directly. I would encourage you to do so, please, and we'll be happy to see what we can do to hook that up. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, great. And I, I actually just to let you know, my my Facebook page has got over eight, almost eighty thousand people on there, and I just uh, put an ad on there for you to tell people to pitch, Mitch, and vote for you as well, and to spread the I word. I appreciate so Hopefully, it. that'll get around. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. 
Also, I'd like to take uh, this opportunity to welcome uh, Peaches Duncan into the chat. Uh, it's a new name I see there in the chat, and I want to welcome you to the show. So I hope you're enjoying it. We'd like to see you uh, in there on subsequent shows. But at this time, I do want to bring in one of our panelists, our conservative activist, Cindy Todd. So thank you very much, Cindy, for coming to the show. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. And um, I welcome you, Matt. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so glad that you have thrown your hat into the ring. We really need people like you. And uh, I look around the nation at some of the people who are running this year, against, especially against the uh, establishment Republicans. And there are just some incredible candidates. But we have to get the word out um, and get people to understand the importance of uh, sticking with our roots and sticking with our our uh you know our our political philosophy of less government i mean the reaganism and um um i look at i look at how in the republican establishment what what their strategy has been and you have to ask yourself do they are they just that stupid or it, you know to see how badly their strategy is failing I mean, Mitch McConnell, if he wins this election, don't they understand that he's going to lose in the general election? Because you can't activate your base. Um, but anyway, uh, thank you, James. I'm glad that um, you're going to do so. I was hoping that you were going to change the focus a little bit, you know, close to the election. and Because uh, I know here in, in uh, Daytona we were going to be doing – some political stuff um, uh, on our, not just focusing on impeachment, but um, also focusing on uh, some candidates, too. So that's a good thing. That's one way to really get the the word out. It's It's been a marvelous way to get word out. Um, but <clears throat> what, Matt, I want to know what you want from us the most. What, do you need more money is that more important to you than boots on the ground or, you know, equally both? What do you need us to do? We need in some, we need both. And that's, that's it's sad but true. But we do need, we do need money. And then again, it, it can come from small places, but you all touch a lot of people. And a lot of people times a little bit can go a long way. My support all comes from the little people. I don't get the big packs and lobbyists maxing out to me, and that's okay. But I'll tell you something, we need that because this will help us to fuel the airwaves, which is what we need to do to get out there to be known. But we do need boots on the ground for people who can physically come, for people that can make calls, for people that can blog, for people that can hit comment sections after articles are written and just point people to MattDevin.com, to point people to this campaign. We need any kind of the grassroots innovation that any and all of you have used in the past, whether it's sign-waving on overpasses or people making phone calls into Kentucky from their own living rooms. We need all the above. We really do. And I'd be grateful for anybody that could help on these. What has your, uh, you know, I'm here in Florida, so we don't get your ads here. What are you putting on your ads? What, what, what message are you getting out? Are you, are you like, are you saying, are you using uh, Mitch McConnell 
record? Um, in yes, the I mean, we're trying to draw, we're drawing a clear distinction between he and I on some things we talked about at the front set of this call and differences between him and me, he and I, as it relates to Obamacare, for example, as it relates to the debt ceiling, as it relates to the cronyism that exists between he and the big business, big labor, and, and he as a part of big government and myself. With respect to the Constitution, not sometimes, not when it's convenient or not bits and pieces, but all of it all the time. These are the types of issues. They're, they're issues. We're talking about things of substance. He wants to go personal. He wants to be negative. He wants to make it a, a, like a mudslinging contest. But I know this. If you climb in the trough with a pig, you both get muddy, muddy and the pig likes it. And so I just, I'm not going to play that game. And to me, this isn't an eighth-grade popularity contest. We're running for U.S. Senate. He refuses to debate because he's a coward and because mm -hmm. he can't defend his record. And it's shameful yeah. that the people of Kentucky are being treated like fools by somebody who we've been paying for 30 years. It's a shame. I don't go there in my advertising. My advertising is specific to issues in his track record that people should be aware of and specifically things that I am a proponent of, as in a constitutionally limited government, a balanced budget amendment, less you know, taxation, less regulation, more individual liberties, not an encroachment of our uh, Fourth Amendment rights through the NDAA and the, and, and the Patriot Act, things of this sort. These are the things that I'm talking about every day on the campaign trail and in my advertising. That's a very important um attitude and I'm really happy to hear you say that because um after uh, you win this and notice I said after you win this you will um after you win the nomination you're going to need the help of uh a lot of republicans who had supported Mitch McConnell and as long sure. as you haven't um uh, burned any bridges then you know you have that support right there ready exactly. for you no, that's no. A, that's a, and to me it's a sad approach to take. Is I don't need to slander or burn other people in order to make myself look good. I really don't. I don't need or want this job badly enough to mislead people about what I believe or to try to personally slander other people. That's just the that's what's wrong with politics. And I think that's one of the key mistakes the Republican establishment is making all across the country. Is uh, uh, um, antagonizing Christians, antagonizing uh, patriots, antagonizing Tea Party members, um, and, and then when it comes time for them to need their vote, they don't have it, and they they either stay home or they just don't vote. Now, um, <clears throat> Mitt, um, Harry Reid has changed some uh, uh, some what do you call it um, rules of the Senate. He has changed the way they do certain things. Um, he's basically um, taken away the, um, um, the ability it? to vote for cloture. It's specific. It's specific. Yeah. What he's done is he's overturned 235 years of precedent, precluded uh, without 60 votes the ability to jam certain nominations through the Senate, and that's what he has is, is, uh, overturned, and Mitch McConnell has given him carte blanche to do that without any right. real effort to the contrary, and shame on him for doing it.
shame on him, on Harry Reid for attempting it, and shame on Mitch McConnell for doing it. And it's most specifically related to judicial nominees, and specifically so that Democrats could pack the D.C. Court of Appeals. That really was the real impetus behind this. Right. Well, um, <clears throat> I, I, I know that <clears throat> people are going to say, well, but if you get rid of Mitch McConnell then we've lost uh, a lot of power. He had a lot of power in the Senate, and if we win the majority in the Senate and then we don't have Mitch McConnell with his power to back it up, um, we won't be able to get as much done. What do you say to that? Well, I say, indeed, to the extent that that power exists, what has it been used for? It has been used to threaten conservatives, to promise to punch them in the nose and to crush them. It has been used to break the back of any effort by Ted Cruz and Mike Lee for fiscal responsibility and to vote for cloture to ensure that a clean debt ceiling bill with no cuts was given to the president. It's been used to appoint Marco Rubio to the Gang of Eight to sell this to conservatives. It's been used to vote for the funding of Obamacare and to ensure that that piece of flawed legislation was jammed down the American people's throats. This Mm -hmm. power and influence, to the extent that it actually exists, has been used over and over and over again to do things that undermine everything that conservatism is about. And so, frankly, we don't need more of this power and influence if, indeed, that's what that is. I would love to see anything even closely approximating the level of energy that he has applied to crush and make light of the efforts of patriots to fight anything that the Obama administration or Harry Reid have put forward. He doesn't put a fraction of the energy into that. The man is a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a naked emperor, is what he is. That's exactly what I was hoping you would say. Very good way of putting it. Uh, but at this time, I'm going to go ahead and bring it back to Dan. And before we do that, uh, anyone who is listening, you know, you're welcome to chime in and become a part of our roundtable discussion by calling us at 347-945-7428. I didn't see someone out there who was also in the 502 area uh, that called in, and it looks like uh, they either got disconnected or hung up, so you're welcome to call back again and join us at 347-945-7428. Thank you very much, uh, Dan. I don't know uh, exactly how much time uh, that you'll be able to give us tonight, uh, Matt, so, you know, whatever time, of course, you're able to spend with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. But you know, we this is you know part of the time where we do what we call a roundtable discussion after like the interview and question portions. Uh, so we really appreciate the the time that you spend with us tonight. You're very welcome. I was supposed to be with you till 10:30, but I'm driving, so it turned out to be to be good. I, I was parked for a while, and then I just figured I'd head on down the road and hopefully not lose the signal. So I'm delighted to have been with you this time. Okay, great. So um, if you have to go, then is there any uh, parting things? Or if you could spend uh, some more time, it's, it's up to you, of course. Uh, so Mike, choice. I can stay with you for about another five minutes or so if that works. If somebody wants to call in or if you have other questions, I'd be happy uh, to address them. I have, sure, I have one question real quick, Robert, and I'll, I'll just ask it and stop. Um, if every time Mitch McConnell spends money, you gain in the polls, what do we have to do to get him to spend more money? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, there's a, uh, he's, I've heard he's about to do a big buy right now. Uh, but, of course, you know, 
it, it really has helped in some measure, but at the same time, it's because he is so unpopular. He really, the more people are aware of an alternative, the more they're willing to throw him out. They want out of the pan. They just want to make sure they're not jumping into the fire. That's where we do need support. For people that can contribute, I would be grateful because financially we need to be able to put our message out there as well, not just our name as a result of being on the receiving end of his noise. You know, uh, Mr. Bevan, what Joseph was saying about the polls and what you've mentioned about the polls is telling. However, we should take a page from Organizing for America, Obama's group, because what they did, if you look at it on a nonpartisan basis, it was extremely effective. What it, the bottom line is getting out the vote. Whether it's money spent exactly. on advertising, bringing up people's awareness, or simply neighbors making absolutely certain that their neighbors and their friends and their coworkers and everybody who's entitled to vote in that area actually makes it to the polls and actually goes in that booth and actually casts a vote. That's what wins, bottom line. And this is a primary, folks. Uh, exactly. What, even with great weather, even with nothing else going on, the turnout is always low in a primary because most Americans are not awake yet. If you're awake and you're energized and you can bring some people with you, believe me, you can make a difference. We've been having votes that have hinged on a very, very few. In fact, uh, I've mentioned this before. In my township, we defeated um, the broken windows theory that, uh, that, that Agenda 21 light by one vote. One vote. And I hope we don't uh, have you winning by just one vote, Mr. Bevan, because I don't want to see a recount. I'd like to see you win um, hands down. Yeah, that'd be terrible. And I know we only have a few minutes left before uh, he's got to go, and I do want to bring in uh, somebody who just called. Who's, uh, I know near and dear to many of our hearts, and that's Harriet. Thank you very much, Harriet, awesome. for coming to the show. How are you? Yes, hi. Um, Mr. Bevan, I am really, really, really enthused with you, and I support you 100%. I'm from Florida, but I'm going to make be making calls to Kentucky. The reason Thank I'm you. calling, you welcome. The NRA is now endorsed McConnell. We know that there are fake Tea Party candidates if you just look at the Virginia <clears throat> government race. We Republicans need to stick together. The Democrats are currently funding Tea Party fakes in order to uh, please the Democrat gun grabbers and baby killers in office to rape and rob America further. What do you say on that behalf? Well, the NRA has endorsed him, but the NRA typically does endorse the uh, the incumbents. It's become uh, somewhat political, uh, which is the nature of large organizations domiciled in, in Washington, D.C., and that's that's the nature of such things. I I have the gun owners of America have endorsed me. I have their support. I have the support of many members of the NRA. I was at a gun show uh, in Kentucky uh, this past weekend where there were thousands and thousands of participants, and they cleaned out every sign and piece of material we have, literally. So I, the real gun owners and supporters are supporting my candidacy, and I'm grateful for that. Okay. We're, I'm happy to hear that, and I will pass that message on. And with that, folks, I want to go ahead and, and, and bring it to you, uh, Mr. Bevan. Thank you very much uh, for spending all the time you did with us on the show and, and coming on. And we wish you uh, the best of luck. And I would like to give uh, the last, of course, moments you're here with anything you'd like to have any parting words. Well, I mean, are you giving that to me? I'm sorry, Robert. 
Yes, that's that's you. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, no, I appreciate it. Five no. minutes. I want to give you anything you want to get out before you have to go. Yeah, no. All I would say is again, please be as engaged as you are to the points that were noted. Turn people out with you. This is our government. Do not allow people who do not have the best interest of ourselves, our children, our liberties, and our nation to hijack this political process. You are correct. The, the point that was made with respect to low turnout among primary voters, they do tend to be low turnouts, which is our opportunity. Exercise our voice. Get to the polls and be heard. This is our time. This is our race. We can win this. We will win this if those who think as we think, and we are many, actually turn us to vote. So I would encourage people, again, I don't mean to beat it to death, but if you want to help in this race, go to mattbevin.com and get engaged. But do me a favor and plug that everywhere you can, on every website, in every Facebook posting, on Twitter. Push this race out there. We have got to light a fire. The election is five weeks from now. Five weeks from yesterday is when this election is. I need help. Push it out there. And if people can contribute financially, I'd be grateful. I really would. You can do that on our website as well. Well, now, one of the things... uh groups we belong to here on Bard's Logic Political Talk is the Patriot Journalist Network. And I'd say uh, check it out by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And there are things that they do, you know, or we do rather, uh, which <clears throat> like Twitter bombs for candidates, things like that. We did that for um, a Greenwald, uh, Peter Greenwald, when he was running uh, for his campaign, for his primary. Uh, so that might be something you might want to check out and see if, I can contact uh, the founder of that, Mark Prasik, and see if there's any way we can use those resources to, to help out your campaign. So that, folks, uh, and for him, is at www.patriotjournalist.com. Whoops. I lost you there for a second, but... Yeah, I mean, those are the kind of things that are... <laughs> Those things are very powerful, and to the extent that people can uh, that can, can help us with that, I would be grateful. Great. Well, I'll give uh, Mark a call. We'll, we'll definitely discuss that, and then what we'll do is we'll contact you through your page uh, and try to you know make something happen to there. That would be that'd be outstanding. This is how these races are won. This is how we, the people, exercise our constitutional rights. And I'll tell you. I applaud all of you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your attention to this race and to the cause of liberty. I'm grateful. Thank you so much. You are. Well, thank you very much, and you take care, and, and good luck with your campaign, and hope <coughs> to talk to uh, Senator Bevan in the near future. Thank you. Look forward to it. Take care. You too. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. I'll tell you what, Bob, uh, th- this guy, he's the real deal. And, and by yeah, the way, just a, yeah. a little bit of, bit of business for you, Bob. Uh, I would suggest that you uh, invite Mitch McConnell on your show and see if he's got the guts to face us fairly, because everyone knows you're, <laughs> you, they're going to get treated fairly on this show. We've had people mm-hmm. that we don't necessarily agree with or that we don't agree with each other, and there's always polite discourse. And uh, so McConnell would be welcome, don't you think, Bob? Oh yeah, we definitely welcome and, and have him on the show, and, and of course treat him respectfully. And I'd get you know give him questions, and I know you guys would give him questions. That would be fair, and you know it'd be great to have him on and compare what he has to say, uh, and compare with Mr. Bevan. 
Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Bob. Um, I would suggest that you actually invite him, and then mm-hmm. if he comes on, I don't want to compare him with Mr. Bevan. I want to compare what he says with his record. And if he doesn't come uh, on, mm-hmm. I think we should mention in specific how he was invited and how he declined. And if he ignores you, he's a fool, and I'll tell you why. You're, you have a listenership that candidates like Mr. Bevan are desperate for attention, of course, So, or Bob Gazzardi or any number of other patriot candidates who are, start off as dark horses who are trying to get somewhere. On the other hand, they don't come on shows like yours unless they know that there are influential listeners, people who pay attention and people who get on their hind legs and do things. Some people listening to your show have money. Some people who listen to your show, a lot of us, don't have any money. But we're doing things. Uh, speaking of which, just before I pass it on, because uh, I've got more stuff uh, when I get my turn, but uh, Bob Gazzardi's uh, petition for being on the ballot against Governor Corbett, the Republican in name only incumbent here in Pennsylvania, was challenged by friends of, of Mr. Corbett. And a judge just upheld Bob Gazzardi's right to be a choice for the voters. In the Republican primary in Pennsylvania, there will actually be a choice between two candidates, which is a pleasure. That's great news. Thank you very much for the update. Well, then we'll turn it uh, turn it over to Joseph in our roundtable discussion. Thank you very much, uh, Joseph. Uh, the floor is yours. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, once again, uh, I think uh, Matt Bevan is a uh, excellent candidate. He's very articulate, uh, and uh, I think uh, he, uh, like I was stating before, this is a crucial, pivotal race. And for someone like me who has been part of the political process for a long time and who has worked in various campaigns, I want to emphasize I heard a lot of positive feedback from different uh, uh, Tea Party patriots and conservatives of how they can help uh, Matt Bevin's campaigns and the other eight uh, conservatives that are running in primaries. But I just want to emphasize the most important help that these candidates need to have a winning chance is finances. They need funds. And uh, I I, I commend everyone who's uh, offered different uh, options of helping out uh, Matt Bevin's campaign, for example, with the yard signs and grassroots. And that's very crucial. And and that's great that they're offering to do that. But uh, the problem is money is going to be the key factor. And uh, Mitch McConnell has already uh, invested early in the ground game infrastructure in this campaign. He's already launching uh, commercials uh, as of last month. In order for Matt Bevin to counteract this, he needs as many funds to counteract the schmear campaign that's being run by Mitch McConnell. And uh, I have every faith and confidence that uh, if Matt Bevin is able to win on May the 20th, then the Tea Party Express, uh, w- with my, uh, I hope, will come and endorse uh, Matt Bevin and other Tea Party affiliates and come together to give these candidates a fighting chance. You see, the issue is a lot, a lot of these candidates, they're not losing for lack of, uh, because they don't have a high likability factor. They're not losing because people don't view them as 
viable candidates they're losing because they don't have a fighting chance to begin with if they don't have the necessary funds to start out and wage a viable campaign. And that's what I want to emphasize to all the listeners who are out there. Even if it's $10, even if it's $20, believe me, $20 from 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people, it adds up. And that will be the definitive factor. Who the, the, the a candidate, in my opinion, who will ultimately prevail and also in all the other eight primary races is the one who will be able to garner the most uh, funds. And that is the only way that they have a fighting chance to win, the only realistic way. And that's what I want to emphasize and and urge, that that's very, very important, is to not only endorse the candidate with words, but endorse them with the most important stamp, with the funds that they need. Because without the funds, they're basically helpless. Even though they can, in order to have volunteer staffers, in order to produce signs in order to go door to door, they need funds. It all functions on funds. They need it. And he has a month to go, and early voting has already begun in Kentucky. And I believe if Matt Baven is able to garner enough funds to counteract Mitch McConnell, he can win. And that will be the definitive factor. You know, Joseph, you're absolutely right. When people talk about money being a corrupting influence, it's not true. In fact, uh, those who quote the Bible often quote it wrong and say money's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil when you love it to the exclusion of all other things. But it's just a medium of exchange. People who say there's too much money in politics, if you want to run for uh, president of the United States, you'll need about a billion dollars now. But America spends $8 billion a year, every single year, on shoes. Look it up. Shoes. If every single person in this country decided that they wanted to do something, and if the half the country that uh, has been voting more conservative gave one dollar, one dollar, that's $150 million. That's all it costs you folks. Even if you're, even if you're really destitute, you can come up with a dollar or with five dollars or with ten dollars. Agreed. Um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Think about what what, uh, Mr. Bevan was saying about the cronyism and elitism in Congress and everywhere else. It's not just Congress. It's not just Republicans and Democrats. It's not just unions. It's every single institution, even the unelected ones. You look at all the different organizations that we all belong to, whether it's a church or a volunteer organization or a civic organization, and they've been corrupted because our society has gotten away from the core values that are embodified in our Constitution. The, uh, the, the Congress, the Senate, the courts, the presidency, filled with corruptocrats, they stick together. They do. They work very hard to keep on message and to pool their money and to help each other out, but they're only doing it for what they want. We have to stick together for what we need. And there are folks out there, and I, I, we've, we had a show on this some uh, time ago, a month or month and a half ago, about unity. Here in Pennsylvania, I'm seeing in a lot of local races uh, uh, normal fracturing of into factions. Now, if it's on the side of those people who want bigger government and more taxes and more intrusion, I'm happy to see it. Confusion to our enemies, the British Navy used to, to toast each other with. But on our side, we cannot afford this. If you have 
two, three, four patriots who are running for a particular office in this primary season, you can support the one you want, but don't knock the ones that you don't want unless there's a specific bad thing that they've done. If they are in favor of the Constitution and fiscal common sense and they happen to win, it won't be a harm to you, even if you may disagree with them on specific issues and you'll have the opportunity to try and convince them. But if you're going to, if we degrade into name calling or hurt feelings and all the rest of that stuff, it's it's only going to serve our enemies. And our enemies are not the Democrats. Our enemies are not the Republicans in name only. Our enemies use these titles. They call themselves things. They they hijack the language. But what they are is people who want power. That's their sole motivator. Why you have to ask yourself after. Decade after decade after decade in Washington, would a fellow like Mitch McConnell want to stay there? It's a nasty place. Why would he want to stay there when he's not getting anything done? He's passing no agendas. He's not stopping the other agenda, at least the agenda that he says he's for and then votes against. So why would he want to stay? Why do all of them want to stay? What corrupts the few that get in there that we see turn from what they said? It's power. They want the perquisites. They like the fact that they can tell you what to do, but it doesn't apply to them. You have to go on Obamacare. You have to pay a fortune for worse insurance if you can get it at all. You have to to, to uh, uh, get a permit to carry a gun. Uh, there's no other right that needs a permit. You have to go to a free speech zone. When we have these conventions coming up uh for you know, uh, two years from now for the presidential race. They're going to have big conventions. Are we going to have free speech zones five, six blocks away with chain-link fences and barbed wire pointing inward and armed guards with MRAP mm-hmm. tanks you know, parked right outside? Is that what free speech is? They tried to do a free speech zone out in Bundyville. By the way, right. before I pass the mic over, uh, a quick update. When you're on Facebook or the news or any sort of Internet source, you're going to see a lot of stories about Bunkerville, which is out in Nevada. That's where the Bundy Ranch is. Most of this stuff is not true. Do not share this information if you cannot vet the information. It does not serve the cause to have people get scared or angry to the point of action when they don't know what's actually happening. There have been so many false news reports now, I was at a uh, militia summit, real, as I mentioned quick, earlier. Real quick, Dan, I, Go ahead. And I, real quick, Dan, I do want to bring it back, but um, I just heard from James, and he's got to uh, go to, so I want to be able to give him some, some parting words before he's got to go, and then we'll bring it back, and then we'll bring it back uh, to you, Cindy. So go ahead, James. Hi, James. Oh, oh I thought you said Dan. There you go. <laughs> okay, um, Actually, uh, real quick, I would like to talk, uh, touch on what Dan was just talking about. Uh, I made quite a few enemies with the uh, with the uh, tinfoil hat crowd uh, over the Bundy Ranch thing because there was so much bogus information going out about that. And I just have to tell people that, you know, if somebody says that they see, you know, troops massing, and things like that, DHS and ATF and whatnot like that. Well, there's, uh, you know, there's a, very few people in this country that don't have a smartphone. So if somebody is saying, well, I have an eyewitness there, well, okay, well, they're the only guy in the, in the country that doesn't have a phone with a camera on it. 
And, um, you know, that, that sounds a little, well, a little bit very, well, very, very unlikely, especially if you've got these people out there supposedly looking for things like that. So somebody says, well, I, I can see them. Okay, well, show me some, show me some proof. And, um, you know, and the other thing is, is the Bundys actually have, and it, give me just a moment and I will pull this information up for everybody, where you can sign up for updates from them directly via text messages and emails, and it comes directly from them. And that the address is just bit.do slash Bundy. That's B-I-T dot D-O slash Bundy. And no www, just B-I-T dot D-O slash Bundy. And you can sign up for updates directly from the source. And Somebody type that into the chat. Okay, excellent, excellent. Thank you. And no, I, because, I'm asking someone to, to type it into the chat. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you said I, that somebody I had can't get it into the it. chat. What is um, it again? www dot or no www dot? No w. No, just bit. No w. Just bit. dot do slash bundy. And you'll hear everything going on directly Got from it. the Bundys. And uh, I've already signed up for it myself. It is legit. And I get, you know how much information I've gotten from them? None, which tells me things are very calm out there. And all of these people that are spreading these conspiracy theory around, they're one of two types of people. They're either a grandstander trying to get their 15 minutes of fame based on lies, or it's an intentional government uh, well, wait. Mis- misinformation James, operation. James, there yeah. are other people who do this because everyone likes to gossip, and, and there are a lot of alarmist people, and quite frankly, there's a lot to be alarmed about. When we were having this summit this weekend, one of our top guys, we were a whole bunch of different militias uh, from across the state, and the one guy who was supposed to chair the meeting because he, he shares the respect of all of us. He's a very, very stable, knowledgeable, organized, down-to-earth guy. He was out in Bundyville, one of our guys, with several other of our, our fellows. And he was reporting live. And as we were finishing our organizing meeting, he's on the line with us telling us that the federal government just stood down. Now, I don't know if they're going to come back or if they're going to do more. They still have a presence. This is what the militia is supposed to do, is uphold law. I don't want to see us doing anyone doing anything precipitate. I know you're frustrated, but you don't shoot first. You don't cause problems. What you do is prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And quite frankly, if we do our jobs... If we hold on to our weapons and don't get disarmed, if we do as Joseph suggests and give a little bit, whatever we can afford, and if we put boots on the ground in peaceful ways, that's uh, that's getting out the vote, that's knocking on doors, that's getting people to the polls, and that's Operation American Spring, which is the big one that's coming up this spring that, that uh, I'll be at with James. And James... Are we supposed to deliver these petitions next week? I thought it was a little bit further. It's Tuesday into Wednesday we're doing this? Uh, yeah, it is next Tuesday into Wednesday, the 22nd oh and 23rd. And uh, that's for the petition. That's for the articles of impeachment. The reason for that, it's kind of like the uh, 
the uh, metaphorical, you know, shot across the bow to give them the opportunity to do what they know they need to do, at least constitutionally and legally, and then we'll arrive, you know, uh, what, uh, two weeks later or three weeks later, and they'll have had three weeks to mull over what they need to do, and they'll know exactly what uh, what the demands are. Well, that gives me a couple of days to try and clear my schedule. I, I was un- not clear on the exact date. But, folks, when we're talking about somebody running for Senate in another state, and you wonder, well, that's their senator, and what's it matter? Remember, there's only 100 senators, two from every state. and Or, I'm sorry, 57 states. There's a joke for you. But uh, it's not a joke. And it doesn't do any good, by the way, if we do impeach right now. We might just have the votes right now in the House of Representatives, but it won't do any good if Harry Reid controls the Senate. If if they can stifle it right there, that's like a grand jury indicts a criminal with proof, and it goes to court, and the jury are all bought and sold or intimidated. We need people in the jury, and that's the Senate. The Senate is the one where the, that's where the trial takes place in the impeachment of any federal official. And quite frankly, I do not want to see these people strung up from the gallows, but I would not mind seeing them get a fair trial, having all the facts aired, and provided that proof can be uh, presented to the American public, and it can. I saw the Watergate hearings when I was a young man. I watched them gavel to gavel. Well, we could do that again. I want to see what comes out. I have a suspicion as to what will come out, but I want to see it, and I want to see evidence, and I want to see them do the perp walk if they're convicted. Because, by the way, folks, once somebody is convicted in the Senate and impeached, and that includes judges and other federal officials, they can be impeached as well, then they become liable for civil and criminal action. While they're in government, you always wonder why these people get away with this. Because if it's not an egregious criminal offense, and they're not high enough up, you know, because high-ranking, high nothing ever happens to them. Why could they get away with Waco and Ruby Ridge? Why did they get away with taking away Elian Gonzalez? All these years, they keep getting away with it and getting promotions. It's because there isn't the sufficient number of votes to impeach them and convict them. Mr. Bevan, I am convinced, would give a fair trial and a fair hearing to any accused official of the government. And that's important because we can't have unfair trials for anyone. And I am also convinced that if the evidence was presented that dealt with President Obama or any other federal official who had abrogated their oath to uphold the Constitution, he would not shirk from his duty to convict that person and toss them out of office. And I, I'll tell you, any way we can do it, short of violence, is worth it. And the best way to toss them out of office is to not let them get in in the first place. So if you've got your own Mitch McConnells, if you've got your own Harry Reeds, if you've got your own, I've got uh, Cartwright here in my district. He's uh, my congressman. Oh, my God. But if you've got these people, then you've got to find suitable challengers and support them, even if they're not ideally just what you want and agree with. Because if you can get that challenger on the ballot, if you can knock them out in the primary or the general election, guess what? You've got a whole new ball game because now you've got somebody in office who will do their job, and you have to watch them like hawks too. And James, I'd like to – James had to go, so thank you, James, for uh, coming on to the show tonight. And uh, I'm going to bring uh, the mic over to Cindy, but before I do so, I want us to, again, get a word from our sponsor. 
And, of course, gentlemen, May 11th is Mother Day, Mother's Day. And for all you guys out there listening to the show, whether it's here live or on the archives, uh, visit our sponsor for some great gift ideas for the special woman on Mother's Day. And so let's uh, hear from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Julie Stevenson, an independent representative with Sopata Designs. Sopata is a direct selling company which offers fine sterling silver and semi-precious gemstone jewelry. If you like sterling silver jewelry, you can place an order with me. If you love sterling silver jewelry, book a home show and get the pieces you love for free. Sopata hostesses earn an average of $300 in free jewelry and three half-priced items. If you love our jewelry, do what I did and become a Sopata rep and earn 30% commission as well as free jewelry monthly. It's so simple, the style of our home parties is always an open house with no formal presentation. You can access my website on Bard's Logic, then call me to start living the life you deserve. 513-378-8876. I can't wait to hear from you. You know, Bob, guys like jewelry, too. Well, you know what? I I, I love jewelry, actually. I like rings and I like necklaces, but unfortunately... Uh, these are they pretty much concentrate on ladies <laughs> ladies jewelry. So definitely check it out by going to the new page that you'll find on Bard's Logic and that's going to www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com and check out our sponsor page and then it will have a link where you can go and check out some of the gift ideas that you can get for Mother's Day. So ladies and gentlemen, definitely check out our sponsor. Thank you very much and but then I agree. I mean, I really, as I said, uh, then I really like jewelry as well. Wish they uh, that would have had more. I, I, I tell people just as a joke, if there's anything that would make me want to be a woman, it's jewelry. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that being said, yeah, I'll bring it over to you, Cindy. Not childbirth, though, right? <laughs> no, gosh, no. But if, I, I tell you what, you know, me and my wife are, are, are trying to have a baby, and if I could do it, I would just from getting hands. So go ahead, Cindy. Okay, so Robert, <laughs> that was a funny <laughs> statement there. <laughs> okay, I'll remember that. <laughs> well, this is um, our sponsor, Cindy, and you'll see some of the, they got some really neat stuff. I got uh, for, oh, what was it? I got my, my, my wife some earrings. I guess, gosh, it was about, I guess it was for Valentine's Day. That's it. I got my wife some val- uh, earrings for Valentine's Day from there. So um, we got some really, really nice stuff, and Jolie. Uh, I know her. She's a very nice lady, so check it out. Well, I actually like silver jewelry, but um, I uh, right now I just don't have the money to buy any jewelry. <laughs> That's why you you, bring your, you you have your husband go to the page, and then he can get it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah right. It's, it's not that. It's, it's not. It's, they're, they're reasonably priced, you know. So yeah, check them out. Well, there are I some had more a expensive pieces to get. I had a comment for Dan back when he last spoke. He made a comment, and now I can't remember what it was. I was oh, I'm sorry. I was, unable, I was unable to write a note or anything, and so it's gone out of my 57-year-old brain. But anyway, <clears throat> what I was thinking was, um, I think what we should do is do, I, I think that Matt Bevins is Bevin, is one of the most important races that we have going on across the country right now. I mean, there's a lot of important ones. 
Um, but this one I think is extremely important because this is direct battle. This is hand-to-hand combat with the Republican establishment, and if we don't win it, um, or at least get really close, um, they're just going to keep ramming their fist down our throat every single election year. So I was thinking, why don't we put a priority on Matt Bevan and do a Matt Bevan money bomb sometime on a Friday night. Um, Okay. I'll I'll pledge some money myself, and we can just, uh, here's what you do. Okay. If you can if you can match my amount, I'm gonna give fifty. If you can match my amount, do it. If you can match half of what I um what I uh, give, great, do it. If you can give um fifteen, if you can give ten, do it. If you can't do any of that, I want you to go to go into every crevice, every pocket in your car Come up with whatever money you can find. Go through every coat pocket, every pants pocket, every place in your house that you can think of that you have ever had any money at. Go look for your loose change anywhere, your cup holder, whatever. Um, The bottom of your purse. Go rob your... your, um, your change bank. You know, everybody has a little change thing sitting on their counter somewhere and they throw their change in it, right? Go rob that. Go take that money. Take it to the bank. Deposit it and write a check for the amount. Even if if you only find two bucks, just go do it. Now, I don't know how many people, you know, we can get on the show. I don't know how many people we can get, you know, to call um to listen to it in the archives or whatever. But I think that if we send, I mean, James with all his people, if he put it a priority, Dan and his people, um, if he made that a priority, if we got Chris on it, if we got um, Rex on it, I think that we could really, you know, come up with a a nice healthy sum for him. Um, Then if we could get, other, um, you know, tell our story to other uh, blog talks, other conservative blog talks, other conservative pages, um, asking them to do the same thing. Uh, You know, we might be able to to help him out quite a bit. But, you know, people sit in front of their televisions and they watch TV like stone people. I mean, they don't even... There's no, oh, I don't know. They they waste so much time. I'm one of them. I I'll sit and watch a movie, you know, and just waste two hours, you know. Um, <clears throat> if we can get a commercial in front of them that gives them some inf- information that they really need before they go into the voting booth, I think that'll help out a lot. <clears throat> and you know, I'm sure he's doing mail out. Um, mail-outs are less expensive than than television. So, you know, if we can if we can fund one of his mail-outs, that's awesome. And I and I think we really could do that 
if we made an effort at it. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of really good candidates on here, Robert. Um, you've done such an incredible job uh, getting these guys out there. But I think that this is one of the most important. Oh, thank you, Cindy. Well, it's, it, it's definitely, you know, a team effort. You know, we've had, you know, Dan, he's brought some folks on, and I know you've brought some folks on, other people. You know, James has brought uh, folks on, Kelly. So it's definitely a team effort, uh, you know, so, you know, I appreciate everything that you guys do to contribute to the show and, of course, uh, the audience as well, and, you know, people who, you know, ask to have different folks with different topics on. And, you know, we we just, you know, are able to bring them on. I, I think, um, like tonight, I really appreciate it. And then we're going to bring uh, Joseph in real quick after I make these comments. Is that, you know, I really appreciate, you know, the times where the candidates do come on or the guests, you know, such as uh, the ones we had a couple of weeks ago on Common Core, we're spending more, you know, more time than they, they first allotted. As Matt Bevan said, he was originally going to just stay on for a half an hour, and he ended up staying on twice that amount. They get to say what they want, and they get good positive feedback. They they like their it's a good it's a good feeling for them to be on. That's why they stay. Well, that's that's good. I'm, I'm glad we, we could be welcoming to them. And as Dan pointed out. Um, even if we don't, you know, agree with them 100% or, or, or on a lot of things, like a couple of our guests. But I do want to bring it over to Joseph because I know, Joseph, you've got to uh, go as well, and I appreciate uh, you let me know that. So, Joseph, you have the floor. Well, may I ask Joseph a question? Because Joseph oh, has knowledge. Certainly, and then he can respond. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Uh, Joseph, um, you have a lot of experience with the, the actual hands-on campaigning. Now, uh, we just heard about get, doing a money bomb, but it's my understanding that there are only really two ways to donate money in politics legally, because we're not going that, the other way. Uh, and, and one is to make a direct campaign contribution as an individual, and the other is through a political action committee. Which um, could, could you explain how we can do this if we wanted to do this in a legal fashion, because the last thing any of us needs is more IRS you just go to his website. You just go to his website and well, you yeah. make to that. Uh, no, uh, I would be more than uh, glad to explain that. Uh, in most campaigns, there is uh, a limit that uh, a person can donate to a specific campaign. Uh, for example, uh, during the Mitt Romney campaign, there was a limit that you could only donate up in excess up into $2,500 per person. After $2,500, you can no longer donate any more specifically to the campaign. Now, here's where the super PACs and here's where the other conservative organizations, uh, such as Freedom Works, that have endorsed uh, Matt Baven, this is why they are so critical, because these organizations are legally allowed per campaign finance contribution laws, are legally allowed to accept donations in excess of $2,500. So they can accept pretty much unlimited amount of donations. They can accept uh, in the hundreds of thousands or in the millions. And that's where it's very critical. And so uh, directly to the campaign, there's a certain cutoff point that you cannot donate anymore to that specifically to the campaign. But that's where it's very crucial and critical that when a uh, candidate is running such as Matt Baven is that he is able to seek as many endorsements from as many conservative PACs as possible because these PACs are crucial to the success 
of the campaign because they are legally able to pull in the larger amounts of donor bases and funds, uh, and then they're able to allocate it uh, and into the campaign and into the areas where it's needed, uh, all by the book, and that's how they're able to wage a viable campaign. Thank you. That, I knew you would know. Thank you. Can and you uh, I'm happy to answer that. Action? Can you name some of the PACs that would be legally able to pull in more funds, Joseph? Uh, yes, I, I'd be more than glad to do that. Uh, currently, right now, uh, the TeaPartyExpress.org, uh, although at this current point in time they are not uh, they are not backing at this current point in time. They have not endorsed uh, Matt Bevan. They endorsed other candidates. Or the Tea Party dot net. Uh, these are actually uh, organizations that uh, can. Uh, 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 what's the word? I'm sorry about that. They can actually legally pull in uh, donations in excess of twenty five hundred dollars. Uh, such okay. as the Tea Party Express dot org, uh, Tea Party dot uh, net, uh, Tea Party three sixty, the Tea Party Patriots. Uh, Joseph, and also, real, real quick, real, real quick, and I hate to interrupt, but you know, listening to all the show and doing all the the little multitasking behind the thing, behind the scenes things that I do here, um, I really lost track of time. And I see there's only five minutes, uh, folks, left of live time. So if you'd like to listen in or to be a part of the extended version of the show, please call us at 347-945-7428. Because if you, do, if you do not, then the show will unfortunately cut the audio off for you. Now, of course, the archive will be available for your listening after the show, uh, but if not, uh, call in now at 347-945-7428. And another thing I neglected to do this evening, just because uh, of the flow of the conversation tonight, is that something we're doing new here on Bard's Logic is to put out just on Twitter, if you are a Twitter user, just type in listening to Bard's Logic and then put in the link to the show. And then if there's room, put the hashtag PJNet in and then just send it out to all your followers. I'd appreciate it. And again, that's put in listening to Bard's Logic and then the link of tonight's show. And then if there's some room, put in the hashtag PJNet. Uh, thank you very much. So, so folks, you want to listen to the extended version, again, call within the next three minutes at 347-945-7428, or you'll uh, miss being able to listen in to that portion or chiming in as well. So thank you for letting me get that out. Joseph, go ahead. Well, Joseph, uh, I, uh, may I ask you this? What is sure. the distinction between what a individual candidate can do with the money that they raise and what a political action committee can do with the money that's raised? Uh, yes, I'll be more than glad to explain the distinction. See, uh, all campaigns have to adhere to the Campaign Finance Committee uh, board. And the Campaign Finance Committee board is basically the handbook for the rules and regulations of how campaigns uh, must conduct themselves uh, and uh, on a financial aspect. And uh, it, it's a lot of um, red... Uh, how can I say? There's a lot of black and white involved in that, uh, and there's a lot of bureaucracy involved in that. But the current way the system is set up is 
that the campaigns, uh, regular campaigns, can only take in a certain amount of money per donor, per election cycle. Uh, in most cases, it's about $2,500, whether it's a Senate race, a congressional race, or even a presidential race. And that uh, the campaign can pull in. Uh, that's the way it's set up. Uh, m- when you hear of many fundraisers that are uh, being um, conducted uh, during the presidential elections, such as, for example, in 2012, uh, Obama had a fundraiser where it was $35,000 per plate, per person to get in. Now, those are uh, the big donor spaces. Those are the people who are actually able to contribute uh, as much money as they want without any uh, limitations. And the Campaign Finance Committee legally allows that, but they only allow that for PACs or uh, special delegated committees to be able to do that. In essence, it really doesn't make any logical sense because really what the PACs are doing is they, they're pulling in uh, unlimited amount of funds and through one means or another, they're funneling it back into the campaign. But unfortunately, that's just the way the system is is currently set up and has been set up that way for uh, quite, a, quite a while. Thank you. That, that I, I'm getting an education and it's nice to hear it explained just like Mr. Bevan did so clearly that you know a lot of our listeners are pretty smart people but they're not necessarily sophisticated in their expertise and we need to get that sophistication so you've just raised the level of knowledge among everybody listening to the show thank you very much and i have to say uh, your insight is uh is really really uh incredible and uh, you uh, seem to be a very passionate person who speaks with great conviction, and uh, I'm just glad you're on our side. And uh, if there were only more (laughs) patriots like you who had the mentality that you had, uh, I think our country, I I think we can agree, our country would be in much better shape. But uh, I have the hope that uh, tomorrow uh, will always be a better day, uh, will always be a better day than today. There are more and more of us every single day, Joseph. More and more of us every day. We just need to get um, them out. Uh, those of you that you want to say goodbye to people, um, Robert? Well, I know Joseph, I know Joseph said he had to go. And then speaking of expertise, we do have uh, someone with some expertise who called in, and that is our panelist, Kelly Mordecai. And Kelly. We'll bringing him in yep, very shortly. Uh, so go ahead, uh Joseph, uh, go ahead and finish up, and then we'll be bringing in Kelly. Okay, no, uh, no. Uh, yes, just to wrap up, that is the uh, that is the important distinction uh, in uh, being able to uh, donate. And that's why it's so critical. That's why we have all of these different bastions of Tea Party organizations uh, that are currently set up right now that are endorsing many candidates. And so I urge uh, as many conservatives to... Uh, view the different uh, Tea Party organizations because they're also there serving as a uh, source of pulling in funds in unlimited amounts so that they can be able to endorse the candidates with the proper uh, campaign funds so that they can uh, wage a viable campaign and they can have a fighting chance. And so I do urge uh, all my Tea uh, Party patriots and conservatives to uh, 
look into these different organizations and how their uh, donor uh, base and um, uh, structures are set up. And uh, just to get out there, and even if it's 10 or $20, believe me, 10 or $20 can mean the difference between life and death for a, uh, a candidate's campaign and its uh, fight for survival. And I thank you for having me on your show. Look forward to hearing from you soon. You too, Joe. Take you. care. We'll see you. We'll see you next week, and we'll keep you posted on when we'll uh, have the, the money bomb for Mr. Bevan. So, without any further ado, I will be opening up the mic to Kelly. Kelly, thank you very much for calling to the show. How are you? Hey, good. I just uh, got out of a Passover seder. We have a messianic. Uh, well, I call him Rabbi, but he said, "Life is short. Eat dessert first. So. Uh, <laughs> I have a share that. <laughs> but uh yeah, I'm sorry I missed this. Uh it's not like you had a really good guest. Um I had oh, some yeah. news from the state of Jefferson folks. Oh yeah, this was hear it. Yeah, this is hot. Okay, so then um last fall Siskiyou County sent a declaration to the state of California saying, Look, we want out. And then MODOC came along, their board of supervisors unanimously. Then Glen County unanimously. Well, today, well, yesterday, actually, uh, Yuba County said yes. And uh, the crowd, after the supervisors voted, uh, gave a standing ovation. Uh, you put these four counties together, we are larger than several eastern states in land area. And uh, so I just, this is really interesting. And uh, I, I guess there's a new party forming in uh, Jefferson. It's called the Jefferson Party. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that one. You, you know, Kelly, um, people have talked success, secession, um, the, the idea of splitting away from the federal government, and I thought it was a bad idea, but this is a different kind of secession. If we have a new state of Jefferson in Northern California, what that means is that Southern California can continue to have Barbara Boxer and Diane Feinstein if they want to elect them. <laughs> they, 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 you know, hey, look, uh, that's I don't like those people, but they can elect who they want. Uh, on the other hand, there'd be two new senators from the state of Jefferson, and it wouldn't really change proportional representation in the House of Representatives at all because you'd still have the same numbers of people living in the same geographic distribution. So, I, oh boy, what a great thing that is. How how close are they, Kelly? You mean the counties are close to making it happen? Close to making it happen. What What more needs to happen in Northern California to make a new state of Jefferson? Well, i got to tell you guys, people want it so bad up here, we've got two approaches. Um, the first approach, which four counties have signed on to, is the constitutional approach, which Maine did um, to come out of Massachusetts. Years ago, uh, many years ago, 1800s, early 1800s, Maine was a part of Massachusetts, and they were screaming, hey, we have no reps here. Um, uh, Massachusetts said, whoops, sorry about that, guys. Yeah, send down some reps. And then uh, they convinced the state house in Massachusetts to let Maine break off. And so I believe it's Article 4, where if the state legislature approves, then you go to the feds and get approval, boom, you're your own state. That's how Maine came to being. And so we're working on that, and that's, that's one approach, the constitutional approach. The other approach is called the Republic. And they're coming up quicker because the vote is on June 3rd. It's Measure C here. 
It's called the Jefferson Republic, and I've uh, the leader of this. His name's Tony Antiso. He's a decent guy. And I I just asked him, "What do you mean republic?" He said, "Well, kind of like Texas." I said, "You mean like the Republic of Texas?" He said, "Yeah." I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" So right now, I mean, there's two approaches. Some people could say yes to both, no to both. One vote yes on this one, or vote on you know anyway. So people are like they want it really bad, and there's other counties. Uh, Trinity and Del Norte and uh, Sutter, I think, too. I'm like, what? So they were really seriously looking into this. Um, Tehama is taking it to the vote again. It's June 3rd, our general election, every summer or every other summer. Anyway, so with the declaration approach, we got several coming. It'll take several years, though, because that will require a lawsuit to get us representatives like Maine did to come out of Massachusetts. Um, A federal lawsuit is in progress to get us more reps, and we'll go from 40 state senators to 58. Boom. Um, Because there's 58 counties, we only have 40 senators. I mean, that's that's only one rep for 930,000 people, which is worthless. Anyway, we got to be where New Hampshire is, one for 3,200. But if we have more reps, there's a better chance of becoming a state, and that is through the declaration process. Now, the Republic, if they vote on it on the 3rd, then there's going to be, ironically, two parallel governments. And I'm not sure how that really is going to work. <laughs> I mean, does, what, does, does the existing county supervisors get fired and the Jefferson Republic people? I mean, the guy's claiming that, that we're going to be our own republic like Texas was its own country. And I'm like, what? And I'm still trying to figure that one out and then how that gets implemented and and yada yada, but that's just kind of uh I mean you see State of Jefferson bumper stickers all over and people wearing State of Jefferson shirts and hats and I mean this isn't the first time we've tried. It's been about twelve times, twelve plus times we've tried this. But it's Well what I don't understand is why um California would have to be one monolith. Um because you have a substantial number of people in San Francisco and L.A., San Diego, who really, really seem to like this crazy uh, socialism. They really seem to like it. I don't know if they really like it. Maybe there's a lot more patriots there than we realize. In fact, I'm pretty sure there is. But in the northern part of the state, at least all reports I've seen, it's it's a very conservative place. It's a very... Uh, classically liberal place. It's a leave me alone, let me do my thing. I won't bother you, you don't bother me, we'll work together when we want to voluntarily. And why should they be forced to simply put up with what the what the Nancy Pelosi's want to, you know, they, look, San Francisco is a weird place and good for them, all right? And I'm happy. <laughs> no, seriously, my dad lives there. Uh, my sister lives in Oakland. I'm happy for the people there if they have what they want, because that's what America is supposed to be. If that's what you want, move there and do that. And I don't think that if you want to live that kind of lifestyle, you can't live somewhere else. If they want to move in next to me, as long as they're not bothering my family or and they're maintaining their property, they can do what they want behind closed doors. I don't care. Um, it's not my business to tell them. And if I do tell them, they can like it or not. But I don't like it when you have this elite group that decides for everybody else. But, folks, you know what? That is the reality of politics. It's a zero-sum game. What that means well, is well, yeah. there's no well, proportional what, winning or losing. There's, it's right, well, all or right. nothing. So if you win, 
by one vote. You win everything. Right. Well, what's happened is if you look at California is a huge agricultural state. You know, like 30% of the, the fruits and nuts come from California. No, I did not mean San Francisco or <laughs> L.A. But, um, <laughs> um, but if you look at, uh, you go to Sacramento about a half an hour, you're into the rice fields, the rice fields in, in, the, in the Central Valley there, and then you've got the San Joaquin south of Sacramento, Stockton, Modesto, et cetera, down to Bakersfield. There's a lot of, um, you know, I knew an almond farmer, and it was amazing, but it's rural. And then you go wrap around Sacramento, and you get into the foothills. There are wineries. In Calaveras County, I won't be surprised if Calaveras County is southeast of Sacramento. Sacramento's kind of just dead in the center of the state. But you go southeast, and you've got Calaveras County, and then you've got um, Al- Alameda, you've got uh, El Dorado, then you've got Placer, then you've got Nevada, and you've got Alpine. And Alpine has like, I don't know, 5,000 people. And but you you sweep around these big cities, okay, Sacramento, L.A. and 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 San Francisco. You sweep around these in the mountains, on the east side, um, the Sierras, up through the north. Here we are all very much conservative. I mean, we're, we work with our hands. That's your classic conservative. Um, you know, constitutional, leave me alone. Um, but in the big cities, they have the vote. L.A. and and, uh, San Francisco Bay Area pretty much dictate what the state does. I mean, we get one rep for like four or five counties in the state house, and L.A. has a bunch. It's like this is, it's kind of a mess. I mean, you guys want to hear the uh, unofficial song of Jefferson Party? Sure. I'll I'll, I'll read you, I'll sing to you the first line. It's from Josh Thompson way out here. It goes like this. Our houses are protected by the good Lord and a gun. Yeah, my meet them both if you show up here now. Welcome, son. Well, uh, Kelly, I, I will just say one thing, which is uh, I've been told this you myself. better than I thought, no? Uh, I, no, I was going to keep your day job. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've heard that country song, you know, one of the lines is, you can just leave us, you can... You can just leave us alone, you know. Anyway, uh, but we're very, uh, I mean, we're just so high Republican, it's ridiculous. We had an environmental measure to the dams be removed, yes or no. 80% said no. I mean, it was it was a non-binding advisory vote, but it's like, woof, you can see our values in that one vote. That only happened like two years you know, ago. It's interesting that you mention the environment because that seems to be a divisive issue when you look at the press and when you listen to the politicians, but it really isn't. Just like Bob... Uh, Robert, who's uh, you know our, our leader here on the show, who is an environmentalist. Um, so am I, and uh, that's not a progressive value uh, that that's changed with me. That what's changed is I don't think that the Bureau of Land Management and the EPA are the solution to everything, especially because they're entirely corrupt. Um, I'm in a pretty Republican area here. There's a lot of Democrats too. There's a lot of union people here, um, coal miners, but we have a respect for the land. We live on the land. There's, uh, the next valley is all farms. This valley, we've got mines. There's timbering. Um, we use this land, and we want to be able to use it wisely. But the idea that, hey, you can't go up there uh, with your ATV. Now, there are some places, I, I used to live in Colorado, where there are still wagon ruts from the pioneers because it's that dry, and you really shouldn't be bringing ATVs up there because you're going to scar the land. It's going to stay for hundreds of years. Here, 
it's wet. And in California, it gets wet, especially in the north. Where there's moisture, you get a, a constant renewal. And I could, I, you know, I've seen houses that were left alone, and after five or six years, they're falling down, and after ten years, there's nothing left. There's just trees growing there. Now, we were, our land was raped here in, in this area, in the anthracite region of Pennsylvania, by corrupt guys who happen to own mines. Uh, I'm not against mines or mine owners, just corrupt guys. And we're still remediating the damage that they did where the streams continued to run orange from, from chemical runoff from the, the fractured rocks 100 years plus after they mined. And they've really messed things up, but we're fixing it. And now we have mines, but they don't make less, uh, make no profit. They just make a little less profit because we require them to have a bond, put aside a certain amount of money for remediation. And then when they remove the topsoil, they put it in a safe place. When they've taken the coal, they put the rock and the, the, the soil back in the proper manner, and they plant. And, yeah, it looks like it was mined for about five years. But with moisture, you know, five years along, you've got shrubs. And there's some spots now where we've been doing it for 20 years, and you're hard-pressed to tell between that and virgin land that's never been touched because they've done it properly. And that's all we're asking. That's a conservative value. Well, yeah, we, we have the Surface Mining Recovery Act. Smara helped the client get his permit when he was doing a gravel pit slash gold operation. And uh, luckily he was, I guess this was like eight years ago, and luckily, he already had a permit. We just had to upgrade it so he could continue and get going. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad, but it is so changed now, and it takes years. If this, let's say I happen to find a good gold find, oh, they'll let me do 1,300 yards of material, which I could probably move in a week, and I'm done. But after that, you can't move anymore. You have to go through the SMAR process, which costs you probably 150000 200000 in professional fees. And then you know, oh, all the all the replacement work is going to be a million. So you got to get a bond, which is ten percent of your bond costs. That if you don't reclaim the land and make it like it was, they call your bond, and then you still have to pay. But you got to put up a hundred thousand; you'll never see again. So we're talking two hundred fifty thousand, three hundred thousand um, before you're even uh, two fifty to three fifty. Yeah, two fifty to three fifty before you're even breaking the dirt for a big mining operation. And there's a couple mines that are going into place that they've actually done this. Now, in the early 1900s, we had over 100 gold mines here. I read a, a book about our history. In 1905, we were self not only self-sufficient, we were prospering, we were thriving. Yes, we did some damage. Yes, they, they said, look, you can't touch these creeks no more. Sorry, that's our water supply. The locals stepped in and protected the environment, especially even other parts around this here. The cattle ranchers couldn't... Uh, their, their, their cattle couldn't drink the water because it was all mucky from all the hydraulic mining. And so, you know, even back then people were stepping up. But it has gone so far and so stupid. The CEQA is like four inches thick, written by two attorneys, who now charge like six or eight hundred bucks an hour to consult on CEQA. It, it has basically shut down access to our resources. Well, and, that's and the right there. Uh, yeah. In but, this county alone, we have some of the greatest natural resources in the country. You know, we have we uh, a couple of years ago we had the highest unemployment rate. Tremendous alcoholism. We've got like, for a population of 45,000, we had 193 therapists. We got all these social problems programs coming in. Well, geez, just let us get to our resources and we can go ahead and take care of our own. 
Well, this is just, typical of elites. They take a good idea, which is the idea of not destroying land. That's a great idea. Or no child labor. Great idea. These these are good things. But they they use the impetus that that for these ideas, that the feelings that we have that yes, we it's justice to pervert it into something that's nothing more than just bureaucratic control. I'd like to remind our listeners that uh, it's not just energy. It's not just oil and coal and natural gas that we mine. Gold is not just for jewelry and for coins or a possible monetary basis for our money. Gold is used in all kinds of electronic applications. It's, it's mm-hmm. the only thing that doesn't corrode. And it's, it can be made very, very thin. If you take apart your cell phone right now, not completely, and there's some phones I guess you can't do that with, but it, take apart anything electronic and just look inside, and you'll see things that look like silver and gold. And guess what, folks? That is silver and gold. It's not yeah. more than a couple of dollars worth, but it's yeah. required for proper electronics. You want to give that up? There are th- some things like palladium and platinum, which are precious metals. I used to work in jewelry, mm-hmm. and uh, they're great for jewelry. They're also incredibly useful for catalytic converters, which are not just those things on your car, but that permits us to have smokestacks that don't put out a whole lot of pollution. There's there's no end to the things that we need, that we have, that we can't use, that we send to other countries because we have rules that we're not supposed to use them before some you know, abstract idea about global warming or carbon sequestration or, you know, protecting the environment. But what ends up happening is they get used anyway in places where they don't have rules. And it's funny how those are are the friends of uh, Obama and his ilk. They they are their pals. And I, I don't pay any attention to the rhetoric when it comes to foreign policy or domestic policy. If you want to know who their friends and enemies are, you look at what they do. They speak about transparency and openness, and they speak about using our resources. And and both parties have told us for how many decades that uh, we would cut illegal immigration or that we would be energy independent. And here we are in 2014, and we're further from those goals than we ever were before, and it's a, a function of the power that these people have had in their hands. Had they wanted to accomplish this, they would have accomplished this long ago. I'm convinced that if we put people like Mr. Bevan into the Senate, into the Congress, into all those state houses, into the governor's mansions, across the country, then we can actually rebound from this terrible mess very, very quickly. You know, you remove unnecessary regulations from small businesses that create jobs. You allow us to get our resources and use them properly. You you do these things and remove all the, the strictures of unelected bureaucrats who don't know anything better take away control distribute that control to each local municipality as much as possible allow school districts to be run locally instead of mandated from washington or from the state capital and what you're going to end up with is a resurgence not only of liberty but the money that comes with it oh yeah well and send you back in and, and, and harriet as well they like to chime in, so let's go ahead and bring in uh, Cindy. Cindy, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say one more time. I don't really have a lot more to uh, say, but um, I just wanted to say one more time, uh, you know, I think we really need to do something for Matt. And um, what we did um, in Sammy's show, you remember when we were 
doing new right. mm-hmm. money um, but we just sent people to newt.org and we said you know, right. put, you know send them your check or, and uh, pledge your money there and um, you know put it on your credit card or whatever you want to do um, <clears throat> and I think you know that's how you have to handle it when you're doing a blog talk money bomb you, you just have to you, you don't the money doesn't come to you it goes to directly to the candidate Right. And um, I think it would be, behoove us to get involved in that because um, uh, we 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 gotta start getting involved. I know everybody says all politics are local, and they really like to um, promote you know local politics. And and I'm one of those. I I have done a lot of stuff here locally. Um. But I think this is important enough that the whole nation needs to turn its eyes towards Kentucky, and um, we need to do something about this. And uh, that's all I really have to say. Um, You guys are doing a great job, and I'm just sitting here listening, getting educated. (laughs) Okay. We appreciate it, Cindy. Just chime in and uh, cut us off if you need to. (laughs) We go too long without... Without you coming in, and so what, what? Go ahead, Harriet. If there's anything you'd like to add on, yeah, I'll just take a minute. Yes, I'm be, been getting educated this evening, particularly how the uh, donation with the PACs uh, for the campaign uh, from Joseph has been very interesting. Uh, I've already just signed in to Matt Bivens' uh, Facebook page, and I have been inviting people to join, and they are joining in tonight. Awesome. So Good that's job. My, yeah, that's my little thingy for the night. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I want to just embarrass you for a moment, Harriet, and that's okay. talk about something bigger. I I was so pleased when you got published with your first very serious article, and it was a very good article. It's extremely well-researched and well-written and well-received on uh, veterans, the plight of veterans. Um, but I want to see more. So I'm going to embarrass you here publicly and say I expect to see another really good article about that subject or whatever else because you know so many different things. And and that's one really important way to reach people. A lot of people don't have the time to do the research. And it's good when you promote something on the Internet and share it after you've vetted it and made sure it's correct. But if you've got the power, and this is, goes for all of the listeners out there, if you have the power to express yourself in words, and and it may not be real easy, but if you can do it, there are people who will resonate to your words. You don't have to sound like everybody else. There's a lot of different styles out there, but there are people just like you who are going to read those words, and they're going to wake up, or they're going to be converted, or they're going to be energized, or they're going to be educated, or maybe all of those things, and that's something I want to see more of. Well, thank you. I plan to, but it's just overwhelming that I, the article was published on Dr. Rich Swire's uh, page. And uh, since then, the Governor Scott in uh, Florida has come up with what he's doing for the veterans and da 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 da. And now uh, connecting with the veterans, with the veterans nationwide, what they're doing suddenly has been showing its head. Uh, not that I ever noticed before, and now I've been contemplating either a follow-up 
And I also have been doing some research and connecting with people who have lived in Russia recently and have moved to the U.S. and other states, uh, how life is how life is uh, living and working in Russia. Let's get direct from the people who know rather than people who claim to be doing research on Russia because we know that a lot of it is only propaganda. Well, when so, it comes um, down to it, when, mm-hmm. as an editor, I can tell you, everybody out there, um, what publishers look for is stuff that sounds good all the way through. It has a beginning and a middle and an end, and it tells a story. And what the good editors and the Patriot websites, and I can put you in touch with the, any number of them if you can't find them on your own. And you can find okay. me on uh, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and it's it's fine, Dan Gray. And I I can't tell you the number because I don't take credit for numbers. It's not my work. It's other people's work that I've helped along a little bit and then introduced them, and then they take it from there. Um, well, what's interesting is the fact that if you, um, I'm going to go into, if I can get into the research, the basis of people who actually are planning to move into Russia as opposed to people who are requesting to move out of Russia. I hate to say here, you're breaking up a little bit, huh? Okay, I'm sorry. We hear that Russia, the good things that Russia's doing, blah, 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 but we know that. In, in third world countries, and believe me, I've traveled to those third world countries twice in my life, and what you hear is what they want you to hear. So to get the real facts about anything is nearly impossible. Uh, yes, uh, communists is alive and well in Russia. Also, capitalism is doing something there as well, and people do have a better life and more religious freedom and blah, 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 blah. But if they belong to the Communist Party, they get more benefits. Well, you know, it's not, that's a good story. And there are a lot of untold stories, and there are a lot of stories here in this country that you won't find in the mainstream press. And there's a lot of bogus information that you will find on the Internet. It's very hard to tell the difference. So if you find a true story, and this is not just for you, this is for everybody, if you find something true that has not been reported, that people don't know about, that you think they should know about, and it could be something as simple as doing a Freedom of Information Act request and getting the budget from your local school district and going over that if you're good with numbers. It could be something about uh, waste in government or fraud it could be a story about people, human interest stories. Everyone loves to read those, and they can illustrate points. Um, it, it, you won't see on the mainstream press about people who are denied benefits under Obamacare. And sometimes it's a congressman like uh, the next district up, Congressman Barletta from Hazleton, that's not that far from me, who embarrassed the heck out of Sebelius by insisting that this 10-year-old girl, I think she was 10, she's 11 now, uh, be reinstated to the transplant list, even though they said she didn't wasn't oh, yeah. worth it. She's doing fine. That made national press because a congressman was behind it. But there are a lot of other stories about people who are denied benefits, denied cancer treatments under this new regime that is not more fair. It's less fair than what was before, which was flawed. And it's mm-hmm. important to to bring these facts out. One thing you have to be very careful of just like Harriet is. You have to make certain that you know your facts. 
when when right. we have people like Kelly come on or Joseph or or James and they're telling us stuff, they've made certain that it's true or they say I don't know. And you'll also note that when you have a candidate like Mr. Bevan, he's also very careful to say something is true. He thinks something is true. He feels something is true. There's a difference. You can mm-hmm. say anything is true if you if you feel it. You can say I feel this way. Who can argue with you? If you say you think this is true, you've got to provide arguments. But when you say something is true, the only thing you have to provide is Is multiple independently verified sources. You have to actually do a little bit of homework. I know that sounds hard, folks. But think about it this way. If there was a website, and I know numbers of these, that was starving for really good content, that had to fill up their pages every single day so readers would come back and not be bored, and you wrote one article a year, and if there were 50 of you, that's one article different every single day, or, or rather every single week. That's not mm-hmm. that many. If you can write an article a month, you're doing great. And it doesn't have to be long. We're talking about 500 to 1,500 words. And quite frankly, most people, if you, if you start writing and it turns into a book, write a book and right. sell it as a book. I can help you with that, too, if you want. But most people don't have the time for this in their lives. And with the education system being what it's been for so long, they don't have the attention spans either. So you've got to grab them in the first first article. You'll, you'll note that when well, Mr. Bevins came on... What were you saying? Huh? What were you saying? Yeah, yeah what was that? No. I was distracted. What was I saying about... Why am I going on too long? I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, ahead, yeah, maybe, maybe I should write a book someday. You know, I, I start a whole book I get something, I'm distracted. I, I, then I write another one. I start another one. I start another one. I'm up, i got to focus. What? Okay. You, you, you have <laughs> wrote a book, uh, Kelly. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I got distracted again. Well, yeah, maybe, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, something about Jefferson, because you were quoting stats and figures and details that m- I was unaware of. And, and I should be aware of it, and so should the rest of us, because this affects all of us. Oh, well, here's a big fact, okay? So I told you, you know, in the Senate, you got 930,000 people per one senator. I mean, good luck competing and getting getting a hold of a, a state house senator, 465 <laughs> for this house. Now, in, in New Hampshire, okay, this is huge. This, you know, a buddy of mine turned me on to this. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're right. Uh, New Hampshire has one rep per 3,200 people. They have they have high turnover. Their campaign costs are low. They only meet like six months a year in New Hampshire. They have no safety belt laws, no car insurance required, no helmet laws. Uh, it's an open carry state. Um, what else? Um, oh, justice of the peace, where you don't have to be an attorney. They have um, uh, oh trial by jury, jury nullification. Uh, as a defense, you can go ahead and and, and tell. I mean, they are very sensitive to the people there. One per thirty-two hundred. You know, so it, it, it's 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 stunning, and so we're screaming. I'm going to go back to local control, then I'm going to jump into some victory for the Republicans, um, and, and helping with this, this gentleman in Kentucky. Um, all right, so local control. All right, you know, Jefferson Party met a couple of days ago. They passed the platform plank: local control over local issues. Hey, that's not a new concept. Magna Carta, C13. The barons told the king, you know what, you can control London, we don't care. You will respect our local customs in our towns, our villages, and our counties. It's like, what a concept. No longer is the king's force the king's force because you've got starving people needing to go hunt a deer. So that's awesome. Now, I, 
this is encouragement for getting involved in politics, okay? And and, and and Kentucky Rand Paul, he's got his people there. Tennessee, there's another good story to the precinct strategy. It's either Tennessee or Kentucky. They took over the Republican Party by the precinct strategy, which Jim Condon talked about, where basically nobody else, uh, if, if no, typically in a lot of precincts, nobody runs for office. Now, you have a county convention where all the precinct captains show up, and you can kick people out of the county. You know, the good old boys, the old guard, you can kick them out. But it was either Tennessee or Kentucky where they actually did that, and they took over the party. And in um, Miss Lee, she just, uh, I just talked to her this uh, was it Monday when she got out of the state convention in Nevada. Now, we think about Nevada. Nevada, let's go. Oh, that's right. Ron Paul won Nevada, one of the six states that he actually won, allowing him to be speaking on the floor, but they changed the rules to eight. All right. She told me that, I mean, she was at the state convention. There was like 550 people there, and a whole bunch of Liberty people have gotten in and taken over the party. And finally, they're winning people over, and they're getting a lot of Liberty platforms into the Republican platform. It's like, oh my gosh! So, but she said they've been at this since 2009. Or was it 2007? 2009. 2009. So that's been five years, and they have finally gotten a huge Liberty caucus. They're starting to take control. In Iowa, a Ron Paul guy is the chair of the Iowa Republican Party. What am I saying? Ron Paul has done an enormous amount by running and getting people connected, united, and taking over the Republican Party. Rand has has paved quite a bit of the road in Kentucky. You know, Rand Paul, and, and, this, and this man was on the phone too, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm missing his name because I was busy. But when, when we start running, donating, helping, not only – do candidates start getting elected, but old guard, old guard gets removed. We're talking neocons. We're talking rhinos. This is why we should be active, folks, except I'm a libertarian. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's encouraging to hear these stories that we don't have to just sit down. You know, Minnesota, during their Ron Paul campaign, at the state convention, they won for Ron Paul. And and several of the... uh, County caucuses, the people there knew Robert's Rules of Order. If you don't know Robert's Rules of Order, Old Guard will stay in power. Anyway, so they knew this, and they were calling the chair. Like, no, 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 no. You're not telling us who the delegates are, and then we vote for them. No. We're nominating for the four. And they kept sending their delegates up to the state, and Minnesota went for Ron Paul. And 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 in one of these specific caucuses, so watching this video, um, a gentleman had been attending the Republican uh, conventions for years, he said, you know what? They kept pushing us around for years. We didn't like this guy, but okay, we're Republicans. We go along. But you guys, thank you. You have beat them at their own game, and you got your people. This is representative government here in the in the um, county convention. And folks, that's what we have to do. Precinct strategy and no Robert's rules. Get in there. And that's what they did in Nevada. It took them, you know, since 2009 but that's what a great thing what candidates do is they unite people, and hopefully they'll train them on the inner universe, and it is a universe, of the interior party politics. So it's exciting. It is, and, and uh, listen, I don't care what a person's party affiliation is if they're, or, or what they, the labels are, if it's for constitution and common sense. As I said, we, we elected a libertarian uh, just uh, 10 miles from here. In the most conservative, I, and I don't mean conservative politically. I mean these people don't change, and they don't want change, and they like things the way they are, and they're very staid in their ways. And they got totally fed up 
with spending a heck of a lot of money on taxes and getting nothing for it and seeing a lot of corruption. And they elected somebody who they thought they could trust. And so far, he's doing a really good job. And I don't care if he calls himself a libertarian. He's a, a, a great guy. Um, so, boy, you know, you need to write another book. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that, Kelly. <laughs> well, let, let, let me talk out to you, okay? Why am I so politically active? You know, I'm about to be 48. When I was at Iowa State in 1988, I was 21 years old, okay? And I was working a co-op job. Kind of took a year off at work. I had a flexible schedule. I got my work done, whatever. I got involved in the Pat Robertson campaign. And they saw me, and I don't know why they picked me, but I was like the chairman of the ISU for Pat Robertson. And we won. We beat um, Bob Dole. I was 21. I hardly knew what the heck was going on. What's party politics? What's a caucus? Never been to a caucus before. And a buddy and I, Tim, uh, we got bumped up to um, county delegates. And we're like, how did this happen? Well, we just got voted in by the people we brought in. And then somehow I, I got thrown into district delegate, and I have no idea how that happened, but I was at the district convention at 21. I'm like, what? I felt... From this experience, that the world is not so far out of reach. It is a smaller world than we think. And when we get people into these positions who love the Constitution, we got our numbers there. We can literally start changing parties and the way business as usual is done. And that inspired me. That one event, sorry, it felt like I was blundering around, but that one event changed my life to realize I really can make a difference. You go through this and you'll experience the same thing. I want everybody out there to do something similar to what Kelly did as a young man, and it mirrors some of my own experiences. I want you to go out and pick an issue, a candidate, or as many of these issues as you can handle. I mean, obviously you've got lives, you've got families, you've got jobs, you can't do everything all the time. But pick at least one thing that really, really gets to your heart, that really, really socks you in the gut, that makes perfect sense in your mind. Pick something and start being active on it and working with those other people. You'll find there are already people working on it. And if there aren't a whole lot, bring some to it. And you'll be surprised. It it doesn't matter what it is. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Uh, if you can be involved in something big like a Senate race, like like supporting a candidate like Matt Bevan, that's fantastic. But every single attack that we can make on the status quo that's ruined this country is an attack that costs them time, it costs them money, it costs them attention, and it brings us close. What's more, Kelly just shared a success story with you. That made you feel good, and it made you feel like you could do it. When you have that success story, whatever it is, maybe it's bringing a library to your town or getting rid of one corrupt official or electing someone really, really decent or a slate of really decent candidates, even to just a school board, uh, whatever it is, helping helping with a no-kill animal shelter. It doesn't even have to be politics. That gives you that feeling of mastery and success. It teaches you the tools that are required to win because they're the same tools for the left and the right, except that we can't lie about things or vote three or four times. But it's the well, same well, yeah. basic well, tools here, of politics. Here, well, yeah, here's here's a simple thing people can do. Go to their county uh, their, their county central committee, okay? For example, or maybe if the Republic, like here we have the Republicans winning women's, the Republicans 
Republican winnings, though. The Republican women's are having a business luncheon. And they want to charge 40 bucks a play, but that's fine. Or any kind of thing where you start learning about Republican functions, for example. All right? If you want to go that way, Republican, you know, God bless you. That's your choice. Keep your constitution at your side. But I'm saying just talk to some of these people that are in the party and how do I get more involved in the party and how do I come to maybe a central community meeting and just kind of watch what happens? Well, you can get an actual education. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on, Dan. Go ahead. There are ropes. Okay, this is key. There are ropes to how the universe of a party, and I see universe because it is so different. There are ropes to the interior workings of a party. And you have to understand how they work, and you watch, and you watch Robert's Rules and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. You start volunteering. They might just uh, lap you up. They might just love you. They might appoint you to something, and then you can bring a few more friends. Um, Lake County, California, the Ron Paulers took over. The Republicans' old guard was so frustrated they walked out. I mean, this, it's not that hard. Well, whether it's easy or hard, it's worth it. Um, you can get a tutorial and primer from various organizations, and you can find a lot of the information on the website, even if they don't have an active state organization or if you don't have the time yet to get to one of their functions. Uh, Precinct Project and American Majority are two great ones. And by the way, I happen to know for a fact that we have some listeners who are Democrats and who are libertarians, who are not Republicans at all. I myself am not a registered Republican at this point. I am a Constitution Party member. The point is not what party you're in. The point is taking back local control and insisting on honesty and our Constitution. So any Democrats out there in specific, if you are really unhappy with the idea that these people are saying that they're Democrats, saying that they're liberals, saying they're progressive, and then taking your rights, and then forcing control on you, and taking all the money that you earn and not doing their jobs and not doing the things that you believe in, well, there's a simple solution to that, too. You can take back that party. And I, I for one, would really, really love to see a rejuvenated Democratic Party as well as a Republican Party. Now, I'll give you a challenge, because the Republican Party, the people who want to take that back and make it responsive locally and make it honest, fair, and clean, constitutional, we're way ahead of you. So if you don't think that our values are the correct values in all regards, if you, you think that, that you've got better ideas, well, I've got news for you. You're not going to get them passed through those, those idiots who are in office now, those cronies right. and, and uh, corrupt people. So if you want to see your agenda, I'm willing to debate it. But we won't even have the opportunity to debate as long as it's just two sides of the same corrupt coin. So take well, back yeah. what belongs to you. Well, yeah, I, I want to throw out another and with that, folks, uh, I want to thank you for coming to the show tonight, listening to our first interview with Matt Bevan, and we're looking forward to having more interviews with him as we move forward uh, to the gubernatorial campaign for governor. And so uh, definitely share the link tonight so others can hear more about Matt Bevan and also uh, look up the link uh, where we interviewed him not long ago for the primary uh, for the gubernatorial campaign. So definitely share that link, folks. And so we do appreciate you coming in. and want to thank you for doing that. And we look forward to seeing you next week uh, when we will have another guest on the show. 
Uh, we are working out the finalities of who's going to be on. And so it could be someone uh, from the organization, uh, such as what I've got here for the Young Americans for Liberty. It could be Marissa Salazar uh, from there or a uh, possibility of looking for another gentleman to talk about ISIS. And that would be Paul Suitless, uh, so we could possibly have them. Or we might even have Matt Bevan himself again on the show. So those are some things that we are working on. So take care, everyone. Have a good night. And we will see you next time. Take care. And, of course, we will end the night with the song by Aubrey Ashburn, as we do every night. And you can hear more from music by going to www.com. AubreyAshburn.com. Mm-hmm. 